Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks maybe you got a new year's resolution we're gonna be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week Bombfell. They bring in the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy whose New Year's resolution is to be nicer to me, maybe? I don't know. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I just want to let our listeners know in Audioland that I grew my beard especially for this week's episode. It was not because I was in Wyoming for a while and it was cold and it was late and I was lazy. I was getting prepped for this episode and this episode alone. I think you can tell. I think you can tell just <laughs> audio wise. Uh, yeah. you, you're, you have much more gravitas. You Thank have, you. Uh, there's a surliness about you, perhaps. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, uh, I'm excited. It's our first episode of 2019, um, starting a new year. And we're starting a new year right because we had a guest that kicked off our 2018 last year. And it worked out great. We had a wonderful year of shows in 2018. So we thought, why not do that again? Start the year off the same way. Start the year off right. And we got actually, we, got, we have a whole lot of beard on this episode, Christian. You know that. You got, you, you got a beard and our guest has a beard. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, once again, DLC stands for describing the last Colossus because we have the guy, who, the guy who literally wrote the book on The Last Guardian and Shadow of the Colossus. You know him from 1UP and EGM and so many other places. One of my favorite people, Nick Sutner, is back with us. Hey, Nick. Hello, Jeff. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's really great being back with you guys. Yeah, I'm sorry it took a whole year for us to do this, but I'm excited to, to kick off 2019 with you the way we kicked off 2018. Yeah, so you, you set me up as like a good omen where you were like, Nick was on the show, and then we had a great year of shows, so we got to have him back to like bless 2019. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So uh, I think you know that's the only, only smart thing to do is to, is to start <laughs> the year off the same way. It's the trade-off we make, like a great year of video games, like everything else is questionable, but at least mm-hmm. if we can have good games, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's the deal we make. Yeah, it's our, yeah, We're, our Faustian bargain. <laughs> where is your, uh, your beard, Jeff? Um, when's, when's the last time you had a beard? I had a beard in, what, 2009, I want to say? 2010, something like that. There are many episodes of the Totally Rad Show where I am full bearded. Yeah, I feel, uh, like, I feel like I can picture you with a beard because I think I've seen you with a beard. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I haven't had a beard in a while, but uh, you guys are more than making up for it. So I appreciate that. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's start the show. We got lots of stuff. We're going to have an awesome uh, board game tabletop time segment because Nick brings the board game knowledge every time he's here. And uh, we got games to talk about and we got some news. The, the year is starting off with some news. So let's get into it and start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, cool folks there, really fun. In fact, um, I want to give a quick shout out to the the community on the subreddit. You guys were awesome. There's an appreciation thread of, of DLC after our fifth anniversary episode last week. And uh, some people said some really kind things. And I'm so uh, so grateful for all of you listening and all of you who participate in the community. Uh, really cool stuff. Uh, but let's get into stories. Uh, Nick, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would oh you cons- yeah? What would you consider to be your story of the week? Um, I think the I guess it's sort of two related stories: the nominations uh, for for GDC timing, both the GDC uh, award nominees being announced and the IGF uh, nominees being announced for 2019. Yeah, uh, I think think they're you know a big deal for the industry. I think these. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think gaming doesn't quite have its, you know, I don't think it has its Oscars. We have these, we have the game awards, a bunch of different things with different approaches and different purposes. But these to me feel pretty, you know, pretty special and prestigious. And um, from both sides, I think where recognition on the IGF side for uh, indie games really, um, you know, they they I think they uh, say what you will of sort of like, crazy always changing judging processes but um they really end up nominating some great stuff um and i think if you look at the grand prize nominees which in this case this year for the Seamus mcnally grand prize are minute opus magnum noita return to the Aberdeen, uh hyper hypnospace outlaw and do not feed the monkeys um they are sort of like looking both at sort of recently released indie games but also the next few years of stuff that is going to come out and be really special and sort of help set the direction and establish new genres and all the stuff. And I think that's been like a great thing to look to in past years uh, and, and means a lot in the industry. And then I think, I mean, I operate mainly on the indie side, um, but I think the main awards as well have started to pull more and more indie content in as well. And now it's nice because it's sort of like just recognizing great games, big and small. Um, yeah. And that was always really fun to watch too. And uh, Tim Schaefer hosts, who's uh, you know a very entertaining, wonderful dude. Um, and the the game of the year category is actually a good indicator of what I was just talking about. Um, the nominees being Celeste, which uh, I'm, I'm excited about because I worked on it, so I'm a bit biased there. Um, and God of War, and Spider Man, and Red Dead, and Aberdeen as well. There, so again, getting the representation on both sides is really cool to see. For sure, yeah. You you bring up a lot of great points there. Uh, the um, the awards for both of those will happen on the same day, uh, Wednesday, March 20th. So we're excited for that in a couple of months. Uh, and yeah, I, I think, you know, people always make the comparison to the Academy Awards looking for the, what's the video game equivalent of the Academy Awards. But if you think about the Game Awards, which is sort of the highest profile one, we talked about that late last year. The way those awards are decided is by press, is by reviewers uh, submitting their picks and voting and so that's really more analogous to something like the Golden Globes. The, the Academy Awards mm-hmm. is there to award peers, right? It's, it's members of this academy who are all craftspeople, uh, directors, actors, you know, special effects artists. All the people who actually make movies are giving those awards out. And so I think, as you said, GDC is much more analogous there. It is, uh, it is presented, it is nominated by people who are in the industry. It's, it's a peer-driven process. 
And so I think, yeah, I think that uh, it's got a little bit more prestige and weight from my perspective. And I love the fact that they have, you know, these two separate award ceremonies, but they're, they're sort of brother and sister, you know, they're, they're, they're back to back on, on mm-hmm. the same day. And so it, it doesn't feel like one is, is a stepchild of the other. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, the, the games big and small are nominated. It's pretty amazing seeing a game like return of the Oberdin, which is basically one person made it is up against something like red dead redemption two, which is, you know, five years, six years of development and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, that's an amazing thing to see. Um, well, and I think in that, I, I think that is the part that thankfully is like the Oscars where it is like independent film and Hollywood film can coexist in this, you know, at the sort of top of its game in this recognized category. Yeah. And I think what's nice about these awards too, I don't know if you've attended in person, but yeah, I the last couple of years I've made sure not to miss it. And it's great because I think they do broadcast it online, but it's really about being in that room and it's about being in this huge room that is full of your peers. It's sort of like the whole industry is right there. Yeah. And so it's just a very positive supportive thing and sort of like, I think it just like resets everything and, you know, brings everyone together. And a lot of times the the presenters and everything don't pull any punches with whatever they want to talk about that year. So it's yeah, it's pretty it does feel like a pretty special moment uh, annually for the games industry to go through. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the a lot of these award ceremonies, it's almost like congratulating games that are already very successful. And I like especially the Independent Games Festival Awards, as you mentioned, are uh, are actually going to make games more high profile they're they're going to raise the profile of some games that maybe some people haven't haven't heard of or don't know mm-hmm. about uh you're an independent games guru um are, are there any of this list there are a few i haven't played at all i mean we actually the last time you were here a year ago i was talking about opus magnum how much i love it um that's right yeah. i noticed that in that episode that you were on um but uh, there's a couple i haven't played i haven't played uh, noita or hypnospace outlaw and do not feed the monkeys. I don't know either. Are you aware of those? those yeah, no, I, I honestly wasn't aware of those those either. I just looked at a trailer for Do Not Feed the Monkeys, and it looks pretty amazing. Um, Noita is not. Uh, I, I I don't even know if it's out on any sort of early access now. I think it um, it's mostly just been playable by by the judges and such. But it looks incredible. I mean, that's have you seen that one at all? Yeah, I mean, uh, just, yeah, so just a little bit, but I haven't played it. No. So that's sort of like an all-star indie team of different devs, kind of like a superstar team making yeah. this amazing physics-driven uh, roguelike with lots of crazy like particle effects that feed into gameplay. Um, and I think that is going to be, uh, you know, potentially a huge hit whenever that comes out. Um, that I'm really looking forward to. But, uh, but yeah, it's a really diverse, great list, and it's great seeing things like Minute um, yeah. that uh, you know sort of got it's. I think it, it did get a lot of uh, a lot of positivity and people talking about it at launch but that's the sort of thing where you wonder if it is going to like come back for end of the year stuff so it is great to see that still getting the recognition it deserves as being something just like you know totally creative and an awesome execution on the idea um and uh also just having a very different you know it has a very simple aesthetic right but Mm -hmm. that uh just fits the game and it's yeah it's great christian i know you're not a big fan of of awards but uh, do you have any comment on any of these nominees or some of the other categories perhaps what I think is interesting, and I think, Nick, to get your perspective on, <clears throat> and there's kind of been this discussion in film as well, it's like, what makes an independent game? Because mm-hmm. um, you look at the GDC Awards and Celeste, which, disclaimer, disclaimer, you worked on, and congratulations, it was my personal favorite game of the year. I think it's absolutely... I just listened to that episode. Thank you. It's Yeah, I, I love it, and I, I might have just bought the Limited Run Games Collector's Edition version of it because i'm a big dumb dumb and i buy games now i own it on switch xbox and soon playstation 4 (laughs) when it shows up um 
but like that game, you know, not an independent games festival nominee. I don't, I'm not trying to say it's a, it's a slight or whatever, but like when you're looking at games generally, you specifically and the broad universal you, like what makes something considered independent versus not independent and and not necessarily specifically for IGF, but kind of generally like could Titanfall one, was that before their partnership with Activision? I don't know. Like some of these huge studios that are clearly huge games, but not owned by EA Activision, uh, Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo. Um, And like, how do you celebrate, you know, maybe those smaller games that come out of Ubisoft's um, kind of experimental studio or some of the smaller stuff EA does um, versus these truly one person, you know, making a game or like Lucas Pope or some of these very small teams out there working away. Yeah, totally. It's a great question. Actually, on one quick side note, too, I think um, Celeste actually entered into the IGF last year. Mm. And I think, um, it, it, not that it was up for that much, I think it was up for best audio. Uh, I forget if anything else, but I believe that's the reason why it's not anything this year on the IGF side, at least, is because it can't you can't enter twice. Um, uh, and I'm not sure about the rules for the main awards. I think that's why it's there. But to your to your question, yeah, it's a great question. And I've had to like ask that question both personally and professionally a lot over the years. And even things like when you're, you know, when I was at PlayStation and we're setting up the the indie category of the store, which I have mixed feelings about to begin with, if if indie should even be bucketed out like that in some ways, like what do you put in that category? Can you know, can EA put something in that category? Um and I think it, it has turned a lot from being, uh, I think in cases like that, there's sort of, sort of a technical distinction, like, is it an independently owned studio that is self-publishing? Like, then yes, I guess that's an indie game. So therefore, Titanfall, while it's a, you know, independent studio developing it, they still have a publisher. And so maybe that makes it not an independent game if they have it, you know. Um, but I think it has turned into more of like a like a indie spirit thing, like the spirit of the game, like, and even that's tough to pin down because now small teams can make stuff that looks, you know, it looks triple a in apparently it's very easy to make beautiful games. Cause <laughs> you watch trailers and it's like, everything's by, beautiful. Yeah. yeah everything right. looks incredible, whether it's art direction or graphics or like the, hi, I'm eight and I'm playing around with unreal four and my job. Right, just right. That's the, the thing with, yeah, with Unreal, you can make something that isn't just like great from an art art design art you know art design perspective, but also like things bordering on photorealistic now uh, very easily, you know, relatively easily than you could you know ten fifteen years right. ago. It's so not easy, but uh, easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, I think I think you sort of got to factor all that in. I think you have to factor like technically, are they independently owned? Like, is is Insomniac indie? Like, they have a bunch of studios, multiple teams. They have publishers for most of their games. So. I don't know. I would say not by the casual definition, but if you want to be technical about it, they are. To me, um, they're like Lucas Films before Disney bought them. Like Lucas right. Films, yeah, what a great indie art house. Right, right. <laughs> I think I think the one thing though that gets I think there's some criticism in uh, not criticism, but just discussion in IGF where a lot of the games that are nominated tended to also have funding from platforms or hmm. other sources or indie fund or something. So I think that's one thing where. that's the question I think that is asked a lot is like, if your game is funded by a larger outfit, even if it's not published by them, are you still independent? You know, in my mind, like, yes, absolutely. Because that's part of being independent is doing business independently and raising money, however you need to raise it. And that doesn't, you know, I don't know. It's because I think what a lot of this jockeying eventually kind of goes to, at least for me, is the idea of discoverability or having your game be out and heard about and being able to be discovered by enough people to really hit you mentioned minute and i remember that game getting some early press and then kind of fading away then the switch version coming out and it kind of 
you know, hit up again. And I, oh, I wish I remembered what article I read. I think it was on Gama Sutra. And it was just about, you know, PR for your indie game. That needs to be a huge part of your plan because if you go onto Steam or even, um, you know, the Nintendo eShop, every week it's hundreds of games are out and some might be incredible, but if they're never written up or given time to breathe, you know, no one hears about it. I feel like even to some extent, Guacamelee 2 kind of big sequel to a big game came out around all these other huge games and reviewed great. And it kind of came and went from in terms of me seeing coverage about it. And so I wonder like as an indie game, if being recognized in the IGF or um, any of these awards are kind of a way to differentiate yourself from everything else that comes out and hopefully get sales to allow you to continue to function as a company or team. Right. And and I guess it's a question of sort of what I was speaking to earlier with like storefront categorizations. Do you even want to call yourself an indie game? Because I think there are a lot of people, actually, a lot of gamers who say, like, I don't play indie games and they hmm. bucket it all together. And in that sense, that's like the that's the other half of it, the, ne- the negative side of like, what would you call an indie game? Because as soon as you call yourself an indie game, it means that some amount of people aren't going to play it, which which sounds ridiculous to us because we all play a lot of indie games. But I think it is true where that sort of buckets things in a, in a bucket that people think they they don't like or they've just sort of written off. Um, but sometimes that that can mean you are featured in more storefront categories or you're in indie sales or all these things. So, you know, I, I don't know. Even, even that's like a, a consideration. Yeah. <clears throat> well, before we move off of this topic, I want to mention there, there's also um, honorable mentions uh, for the Seamus McNally Grand Pie. So the, uh, Nick listed the uh, actual nominees for the, the award, but it's kind of cool. They do honorable mentions and there's a bunch of really great ones. Uh, Wander Song, which I think we're going to hear about more in the playlist later on in this episode. Subnautica, which was a game on my top five this year or last year. Uh, Mirror Drop, Moss, another game on my list. Unavowed, Iconoclasts, which is a great game I played a lot of this year too. Virtual Virtual Reality and Beat Saber, which is another game that uh, I love. So the great list of honorable mentions, great list of, of nominees. Uh, and we'll be tuning in on March 20th to see uh, more publicity for these games. It's great to see. Yeah, and they also, I think another one to, to call out just category-wise is the Nuovo Awards, which are always right. things that they sort of can't put into any, you know, they don't they don't have any one thing to nominate them for whatever it is, narrative or design. Um, but it's always a really, you know, really interesting list of things that are sort of truly innovative and, again, sort of maybe setting the direction for future games and genres and things. So I'd encourage people to go check out that list and just poke around at them. Um, one game that I actually uh, saw a presentation of a couple months ago when I was in Australia is Nth, Dim- Nth Dimensional Hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, by Zachariah Chandler, um, which was a really, a really cool one. And it's sort of a very, a very obtuse game and uh, sort of feels like the, like a sort of Dark Souls of like a um, puzzle adventure game, almost a uh, really cool sort of glitchy aesthetic and uh, worth checking out a video of at least. Cool. That's Nth Dimensional Hiking. Uh, yeah. They also have a best student game, which category, which I love. I love the fact that they have that at all too. So, uh, all right, Christian, what is your story of the week? I think ours might be one and the same because I was next to you when it, it kind of hit or announced and you you told it to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, Second Dinner, former Blizzard devs, they worked on Hearthstone, former Hearthstone leads. They've revealed their first project. It's a little indie hit, <laughs> a hopeful indie darling uh, Marvel project. You know, this little this studio that made this game, these people that made this game, Hearthstone, if you've heard of it, it's this it's just little known. It's like cards and people play it, I guess. And then Marvel which um, 
they make these comic books. If I don't know if you've read any of them, but uh, yeah, I think this is huge. All joking, uh, dumb joking aside, the former leads of Hearthstone announced their first project. It's going to be a Marvel game. There's not tons of details on it right now, but everybody kind of suspects it's going to be Hearthstone Marvel, like a card Marvel game, which sounds yeah. pretty awesome. Yes, please. Right. Yes, please. <laughs> You're right. Uh, like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so they released a video basically announcing that they got funding, uh, which is, which is cool. And from that they, NetEase. yes, from NetEase, uh, the, the villain of the story uh, for Diablo fans just a few months ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, $30 million evidently from NetEase. They're excited and that they've been secretly for the last six months working on prototyping a Marvel game. They didn't specifically mention that it would be a card game or that it even would be a mobile game, but you got to feel that if it's Nettie is probably leaning that direction, especially the team. This is Ben Brode and Hamilton Chu, uh, both guys who helped create Hearthstone for Blizzard and, and peeled off and started this company. My takeaway, I don't know if you watched the video that they put out announcing this, Christian, but my takeaway is... These guys are all extremely charming. <laughs> it is the most <laughs> delightful video. I was like, did they rehearse this? Because it feels so off the cuff, but just so perfectly choreographed. They had to have rehearsed it. It's $30 million of charming, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they're like, he's, Ben Brode is like holding, he's holding his, obviously his phone as the camera, but it's all perfectly choreographed. They're like hopping in and, and making jokes and doing little fake interview stuff. And it's like... Yeah, I just so want to be friends with all these guys because <laughs> they seem like the best. And they're also advertising anybody that might be listening and interested. They're also advertising for the fact that they're hiring. So they're looking for unity designers. Unity also kind of pushes me in the, in the direction of thinking it might be a mobile game, but yeah, sign me up. Uh, what do you think, Nick? Are you ready for Marvel Hearthstone? Yeah, I was gonna. I was thinking about how this, uh, like, do, do you think expectations of Marvel games have changed in like a post Spider Man world? Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if Marvel themselves are now thinking like, okay, everything, you know, now it needs to be at the sort of, you know, once the movies got good, they had to stay good. Right. Um, so now I wonder if that's the case with the games, where like things aren't going to ship unless there's a certain quality now, and have expectations from from players changed, and like now do we expect like Spider Man quality? Uh, in you know in everything we get marvel related because it also makes me think of the other um the one that square's been working on for years right, right? the sort of uh team based yeah, like, yeah. thing yeah and like where i mean we haven't seen that in a long time probably for no you know weird reason i imagine but uh but who knows like i wonder if again like spider-man is sort of changing the stakes for these things that I mean, is a I great put, question <clears throat> i put the weight of the world on these teams and i expect only perfection so i don't think that's changed at all <laughs> well it's a good point because i mean there's no shortage of marvel card games on mobile there's a bunch of them right there's i, I i've downloaded at least two and i think there's probably more than that um so i wonder if this is like hey we're gonna kind of step it up and and make the the Marvel card game on mobile to end them all, you know, to rule them all. Right. And, and what does that, does that mean? Cause I haven't actually played the other one. Sounds like you have, but what, like I'm imagining maybe presentation quality is the thing that could, could it always improve? I don't know. I mean, I'm the one I have still on my phone is battle line. I think it's called battle lines. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I played a little of it. It was fine. Uh, but it, I mean, the presentation was excellent. I mean, it's got all kinds of Marvel heroes and great art, lots of comic book art. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it didn't hook me as far as whatever it t- takes to hook you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'm down for literally just a reskin of Hearthstone. I don't <laughs> think that's what it's going to be. I really don't. I think they're probably, I mean, the way Ben Brode describes it in the video is he said, you know, we've been prototyping something. It's really crazy. It's really cool. 
I don't think he used the word crazy, but he just, it made it made me come away thinking that it is a new approach or something new that they're trying, that they had an idea that they had that they sold to Marvel. And I mm-hmm. don't think that idea was just like, let us make, make, you know, Hearthstone or magic, but with Marvel characters, although right. I would play that. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, I also wonder too, if this is something again with unity, potentially, if this is, I mean, not that that really means anything, but if this could be a cross platform thing where this is one that actually ex- coexists on, on mobile and on PC and on console and right. maybe has cross play. Cause that, that I think isn't something that's existed even with Hearthstone. Um, so that could be a cool thing. Like, cause there's obviously an audience for that in all of these places. Yeah. Whatever the case, we probably won't know for sure for quite a while because they're just hiring up. They just got funding and they're in prototype phase. So I I would assume that uh, it'll take a little bit for for the game to to form into something we'll actually see. But I think it wins a game of the year this year. <laughs> all right. Good prediction. Good prediction. A little branch, but it's good. Uh, all right. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of the ones I was going to bring up. Um, I'm tempted. I want to get your guys' opinion on 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 this uh, Amazon thing, even though I kind of think it's nothing. Uh, but before I do that, really, I think the story of the week that is is more interesting, more fun, and we talked about last year when Nick was here, is that uh, Awesome da- Games Done Quick is starting this week. And so I think, as somebody that uh, and all three of us here are are people that love positivity in the game space and. Uh, really believe this event is worth you checking out and supporting uh, a, a charity fundraiser with people doing incredible things with video games. Just incredible things. With <laughs> Wait, video what? Games. Uh, just, <laughs> they juggle them. They throw them. <laughs> well, it's almost like that. It, it is, you know, it's going through games as quickly as possible using any means necessary. And uh, the wizardry, the uh, the prowess on display is is pretty cool uh nick i know you were browsing the uh, the schedule of the games in the next few days i need anything jump out at you for games done quick um well the one i mean the one close to my heart of course is shadow of the colossus which is being done tonight which if you're listening to this is uh you you won't be able to catch it. so hopefully you watched it uh doing a boss rush um but uh yeah no i i didn't i didn't get too far through it but there's there's everything i mean i'm just skimming it now you know it's like near automata there's there's bastion there's guacamelee oh. 2 another thing i worked on um awesome. <laughs> there's uh n plus plus and garfield a week of garfield um so <laughs> it's we were talking about before the show where it's great how like people have really dedicated their lives to like becoming incredibly excellent at a, like a very obscure, weird game. Yeah. And those are some of the most fun actually to, uh, to, to watch too. Cause it's like, you've never, it's a game you've never seen before, but you can already tell like how much mastery is at stake in the you know way people have found to like find shortcuts and, and get through these games. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, I was going to say too, the, the Celeste run from last year was awesome. And there's another all chapters run um, for Celeste that looks like it's on Thursday, uh, which would be really good. But yeah, it's an incredible list. If you think you're good at video games, just watch any five minutes of this of this competition and you will realize actually this is not a competition, but Yeah, and it's not even it's not even too just about being it's good good. In a lot of cases it's about actually rethinking how you approach the game and using you know, using combat for you know to affect movement and right. vice versa and actually like fundamentally rethinking a lot of these games just to actually be able to get through them more quickly. So it's really interesting seeing people deconstruct these things and how creative they get with it. And it's for a good cause. So there's really no downside. Check it out. You can find it at uh, gamesdonequick.com Com. All right. So I, I did want to just briefly talk about this story because I think it's interesting. Amazon posted a list 
of the most popular video game related products that they sold in all of 2018. And at top of the list, the number one highest selling video game related item. This isn't even a game. It could be a game card for time in a game. In fact, most of the list is game cards. Uh, it, top of the list, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. So more copies were purchased of Super Smash Brothers Ultimate on Amazon in 2018 than anything else game related, which is kind of surprising to me because it came out at such the end of the year. I didn't have time to compete with uh, things like a PlayStation Store gift card, which is number two and three and five and seven. (laughs) What what it did have, though, was time to be pre-ordered, unlike a lot of Sony's big games this year. Not Mm. to say that they wouldn't have, that Smash wouldn't have been the top seller, but Smash was a known quantity for all year. The smart leaking, or not leaking, uh, trickle out of news and Nintendo Direct, keeping the hype going, and that pre-order link being active. And I think, did it qualify for for the pre-order discount from amazon i don't know but like great game huge fan base a lot of other things in its favor and i think amazon and sony's kind of i don't know what else to call it than like a pissing match i think it's still kind of going on maybe they resolved it but i know like god of war and spider-man weren't available to pre-order for i don't know if ever or a long time leading up to their release I also would would hazard to guess that the digital adoption on Switch is still a lot lower overall. So I guess, for instance, like God of War probably sold a higher percentage of copies on PS4 than Smash Brothers did on Switch. I I don't know this at all. I'm just guessing. Um, But I think that's maybe part of it. And then also just the fact that like Smash Brothers is the reason that a ton of people bought their Switch. I don't think that's really true of any of these other games. Like they're all big games, but as a single skew, like Red Dead just on PS4 or Spider-Man or God of War, like they're all huge, great games but they're not sort of to the point of like they don't they don't you know they're not platform defining in the same way that that smash brothers is and then i wonder how many of those gift cards are technically different skews still where one is like uh you know like the the all one piece thing and then one's the one that folds over you know whatever those are and of course those sell like hotcakes because you always see or at least i do it's like you can get the playstation you know 20 20 bucks for 15 bucks right now and on all those deal hunting sites and stuff there's some interesting stuff on here too like number 21 which is above call of duty uh for ps4 and god of war for ps4 is the oral z carrying case for nintendo switch yeah. like why why that one well, number four <laughs> is the glass screen protector for switch so so a lot of people uh, yeah true people bought their a screen protector on amazon but it like i think it's this weird venn diagram of things people shop for on amazon and the fact that each SKU is its own category. So like you have basically Red Dead Redemption 2 for PS4 competing with Red Dead Redemption 2 for Xbox for placement on this list, you know? So it's it's a lot of misleading information, but it is just kind of wonky and, and fun to dig into it. It's yeah. just interesting to why. Which, by the way, a little impressive there with the Red Dead thing, uh, that PS4 is number 14, Xbox One is number 37, yeah. even though that's supposed to be like the superior version of the game, right? Right, yeah. Anyway, I used to work at Sony, so I'm, you can call me by it if you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm also, shocked. an observation. No, no, I'm shocked at, uh, at uh, how many people buy gift cards on Amazon. It's like all gift cards, you know, the whole yeah. thing. It's just chock full of it. Um, I think a lot of people actually don't want to give their credit cards like online, uh, don't want to like have a credit card on file with Sony or Microsoft. So yeah. maybe this is a way of doing that. I don't know. Maybe you trust Amazon more. Maybe you're paying with PayPal or you something. You get them at a discount because those things go on sale. And then so you're getting That's extra true, money yeah. for your money. And it's a way to 
Uh, also, chat's talking about it, so I'll talk about it. Uh, Celeste is a game with gold right now on Xbox, but it's a way to give that game to somebody before mm-hmm. um, physical versions came out. So if it's like a digital-only game that you're super into, I don't think the Nintendo shop, you can gift actual games yet. Um, I think on Microsoft and Sony, you can. But you know, a lot of times you want to give a loved one or relative something, so you give them a PlayStation gift card, and you're like, I'd recommend you go buy... Yeah. This game, go buy Axiom. Please, please use it on this game. I want you to try. Yeah, I can't stop you, but, you know. <laughs> that was like in the past where there used to be like Guitar Hero credit included. Sometimes like, here's $3. Please go buy a Guitar Hero song and not anything else. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on. We got games to talk about galore, uh, but you need to thank our first sponsor. Uh, speaking of th- stuff you might want to give as a gift, our sponsor is Bombfell. And, uh, there's something that I will be completely honest about for me, which is I hate shopping for clothes. I hate it. I have this always hated it. He hates it. I do. I hate yep. it. I, I, yeah. I won't do it. I thought, you know, getting married, uh, my wife, you know, she wanted to want sometimes to buy me clothes. Go to. I have even made her hate shopping with me because of how much I hate shopping. She just like doesn't even want to put herself through it anymore because I'm just so, I'm so impatient. I don't want to do it, but I also like looking stylish and good. So I'm just this, this dichotomy that doesn't work. I I'm, I'm a walking contradiction. Luckily Bombfell exists because Bombfell is my savior. I just got a new box from Bombfell, what, two days ago this solves both of the problems. Uh, it lets me look awesome because my wife, I open it up, I try them on, and my wife goes, ooh, those look nice on you. Turn around, ooh. And uh, I don't have to go anywhere <laughs> do anything. I don't have to go shopping. Bombfell, it's an easier way for men to get better clothes. This is for men. And it, 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 you basically get pa- matched up one-on-one with a personal shopper stylist, somebody that has a good sense of what looks great. And you tell them, you, you fill out a really quick questionnaire. You tell them what you're looking for. You're looking for new work clothes. Are you looking to upgrade your style. You know, you kind of some general sense of what you're trying to go for. And then you say, I'm, I'm looking for shirts. I'm looking for pants. I'm looking for shorts, whatever it is. And then they send you back some selections that you have pictures, looks really cool. Uh, or you can say, ah, I already have something that looks similar like that, which is what happened to me just last week. They sent me a, a, a shirt that I had that I was like, I kind of already have something like that. Uh, and then they give you other selections. You're literally dealing with a human being. This is not an algorithm. This is a human being who is uh, setting it all up for you, picking out clothes, making a look that's going to look great. Uh, and then they send it to you. You try it on. It genuinely looks awesome. And uh, I'm shocked at how well everything fits. Uh, all you do, you sign up, you tell them your measurements, set up your order, you get a preview email, then you receive the clothing. That's it. It is so simple. It's so awesome. And it's made me look better and made me feel better. And I don't have to go shopping, which I hate. So we're going to help you out. If you want to try this for yourself, $20 off your first purchase. Just go to bombfell.com slash DLC. Uh, that's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash DLC. This is pretty cool for our listeners. Twenty five bucks off, uh, and uh, and I I think you're gonna dig it. Give it a shot. Bombfell, open and clothes. <laughs> I love that. All 
right, time to dig into the games that we have been playing. Nick, uh, you have several games uh, that I'm very interested to talk about. Chief among them is the one that we talked about uh, as a nominee or an honorable mention for the Independent Games Festival Awards. Mm-hmm. Undersong. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I haven't I haven't played it in in a week or so, but it was sort of stuff I played in in recent history. Um, I was playing it while I was traveling a bunch on Switch, which is great. Um, and yeah, it's a great game by uh, Greg Lobanoff and team. And it's about um, it's about a bard who is on an adventure, uh, and it's got a really great sort of colorful, like hand cut looking um, art direction, almost like a little bit tearaway esque. Um, and you just sort of uh, you know it's a, a side scrolling perspective, and you run around and you meet people and you have funny conversations. Conversations and they're very, um, they're very sort of like um, I don't know, millennial sassy dialogue. Let's say uh, <laughs> a little bit night in the woods esque, but uh, but I enjoy it. It's sort of this voice that I see in a lot more games now. But it's it's fun. It's a really like wry, you know, silly sense of humor. Um, and uh, so you sort of yeah, you meet people, you solve their problems by singing, uh, and at any time you can just start singing with the right analog stick, and you pull up this sort of wheel of singing different different keys, I guess. Um, and you can like dance while you're moving around, which is really fun. So it's a game that's just sort of like nice to exist in the world in, and very pleasant, and it's really funny. And you, uh, it like never gets too dark. It gets a little sort of serious and a little more emotional at times, but um, uh, you always sort of find these like clever, cute ways to solve problems and always comes back to your singing um and it's great it's just like a really funny pleasant enjoyable game um and i'm a couple hours in and it seems like a pretty like large adventure so i'm excited to see where it goes it's awesome and <clears throat> that's wander song it's available you said on switch and is it on pc as well i think switch and pc right yeah. now yeah and I, I'm, I imagine we'll come to other consoles eventually but very cool uh, what yeah. else is on your playlist Oh man, I've, it shouldn't have started with me. I got the weird stuff. I love um, it. <laughs> well, well, one I'm always playing is Splunky. I also have a Splunky podcast. My quick plug, uh, the Splunky Show. Like, um, so I'm always playing that game. I'm always doing my daily ch- daily runs, and um, that's a whole other like culture of its own. Well, t- that's just a given part given part of my my routine. Well, uh, 2019, we're going to see Splunky too, right? Yeah, that's what it said at the end of the trailer. Yeah, so, so uh, how is it? What is that? going to replace Spelunky for you? Or are you going to wait and see? And all right, what are you, what are you looking for out of a Spelunky too? It's, oh man, my hope, hopes and dreams have no, have no bounds. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess it, I guess it probably will replace it is my thought. Um, a couple episodes ago on my show, we talked to a bunch of the, like the world's top speed run- or the best players in the world, basically were also the top speed runners and asked them about that. Like, do you think you will just move on to Splunky 2 with all the sort of speed run stuff you do every day right now? And it sounds like a lot of it depends on the execution of how Splunky 2 approaches that stuff. But that is why the game has had s- such longevity as one of the, you know, the first game really to, to have a daily challenge. Um, and the way they did it. And now people again in AGDQ fashion have sort of, subverted it and found other you know other like things to go for and other new world records to um to figure out and i think having so many years between the games i'm sure derek the developer has internalized all of this and is going to be very thoughtful about how he presents sort of the um you know the long game of it too so i'm really excited to see how he does it uh i have a feeling it will replace Spunky just because it's going to be like this new exciting thing and yeah. i'm sure Endless, endless things to dig into but um but yeah you're it's gonna be the year of Yeah, we don't know much about it right it's just sort of we know it's coming but we don't know exactly how it's going to be different from the first one right 
It's uh yeah, well there's a couple there's a couple sort of like key features they've talked about and they've shown at a few events now. So there's things like um just uh high level things like there's sort of a second layer behind the current world that you can go into. So some doors lead you to like a back layer of the world. There are mounts you can ride, like turkeys and weird like hell pigs. Oh, man. Um and there's gonna be online multiplayer, which hope which sounds incredible and like too good to be true, but uh that I'm incredibly excited for that. Um so just like featureless we know, but we don't really of course, Splunky is all about discovering sort of the, you know, the, I don't know, the, the, the new ecosystem of the worlds and how everything fits together. And we've really, only really seen the first couple of worlds of it. And then the most interesting thing, of course, is sort of what was the hell path in the first Splunky of like a path to the true end game, which required getting very specific items and doing specific things with them. And no one really knows what that's going to be in Splunky 2. And I think that's going to be the most exciting thing to be part of the community discussion around launch as people sort of solve this as one of those things that you think like, oh, maybe people will take weeks or months to figure it out. But I feel like it's going to be solved in like the first day. Of course. <laughs> right, right. People are people are yeah. nuts, but awesome. Yeah. All right. What else we got? Um, so very excited for Splunky. Um, so the first one I put on my list uh, is called Mr. Success, um, which I know you had mentioned you hadn't heard of, but you may have heard of Hidden My Game by Mom. Uh, yeah. Uh, another mobile series. You're sorry. You said you have or I haven't. haven't no. You haven't? Oh, really? Okay. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. This is, this is, I mean, once in a while, when a new Hidden My Game My Mom comes out, Twitter is sort of like oh, gaming, oh, gaming yes. Twitter talks about sorry, it for a bit. I didn't understand what you said. Yes. Yes. I have. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. Okay. But you haven't played it. Okay. It, that's, no. okay. Hidden My Game by Mom, which is Hidden My Game by Mom. I know it's a weird name, but look it up on the App Store. Um, a really, a really hilarious, like, wonderful game about just like a mom hiding a kid's uh game boy or right. ds basically um and you play like 30 ish levels and every level you're just trying to find the ds and like not find your mom <laughs> um and it's just a puzzle game that's like you know one or two screens for each level but it is like genuinely really funny and incredibly creative and has some really inventive puzzle solvings where you have to think way outside the box um and, they, and these games always manage to have like a weirdly poignant ending um, and very repetitive, but really charming music. Um, they're just like, they're really, really great. Like highest recommendation for stuff you can do on your phone. And if you sit down, you can probably play through each one in like, you know, I don't know, 20 to 40 minutes, depending on how good you are. Uh, or sometimes you'll just get stuck on one for months. <laughs> but there are three of the main games of Hidden My Game by Mom. Now, there is also one on Switch, actually. Hidden My Game by Mom. I think it's, I think it's called My Mom Hid My Game on switch um and that's sort of like a remixed version of the first one um so if, if that's you know if that's more playing you to play on switch absolutely check it out that I way the switch one's like the bundle isn't it <clears throat> if i remember correctly i thought it was kind of both of them but maybe it is just remixed i think it's i thought it was the first one with like a bunch of new levels mm-hmm. but it totally could be the some of the second one added in but they all sort of have their own like background story as well a little bit and there's also a cast of characters now which is fun there's like the sister and the grandma um and so mr success basically i just wanted an excuse to talk about the series but this came out like two weeks ago um and it's sort of a spin-off so there's one called mr success there's one called my brother ate my pudding and these are both uh in the hidden my game by mom universe the uh, i want to say like the mcu but i couldn't think of the acronym <laughs> yeah, it's quick enough it's, it's much yeah, longer. H, yeah. <laughs> um but mr success you're basically like a performer in front of a crowd and just like a, a magician and you're basically doing these different tricks and each level is figuring out a trick and involves sort of like one swipe or movement or something on the screen and you have to figure out what it is so that you can successfully uh mr successfully uh, execute it and not like mess it up. Um, and that's, that's all it is. And it's short. And this definitely isn't the best one I would say, but I really enjoy all of them. And they're, they're all free. I, I wish you could actually pay to like get rid of the ads, but you can't, but they're all free to play. Um, 
and it's just really great. And I think like yeah, it's it's a, it's a fine entry point into the series. But if you haven't played it, I would go play the the main line Hidden My Game by Mom one. So that's Mr. Success and Hidden My Game mm-hmm. by Mom, and they're both available on yep. iOS and Android. Exactly, and Switch for Hidden oh, My right, Game by Mom, right. the first one. Um, and then the one other one I wanted to mention is Seesaw. Uh, so this actually, this developer, Philip Stollenmeyer, uh, his Kami Box is the name of his company. He's actually in the uh, honorable mention for best student game, I think, for IGF, um, for his game Supertype. So he released three games in 2018. Supertype, which was probably my game of the year if you had to push me, um, and Bacon, and Seesaw. Um, I don't know if you guys have played Burger or Pancake ever on iOS, but uh, those are also really fun, like sort of simple f- flipping games, like very, very creative, like flipping a pancake or flipping a burger. Um, Bacon was the third one in that trilogy. Anyways, uh, he 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 makes these games that are like simple, um, but I think he's a brilliant level designer, and there's a ton of comedy expressed through his level design. Um, Zip Zap is another game of his that I think is like maybe my favorite iOS game. I know I'm just randomly dropping a bunch of silly small games, but I promise these are all worth checking out. So he has this, he's really prolific. He has this incredible catalog of like 10, 12 games at this point. Um, and, and pretty much all of them are brilliant. Uh, Seesaw is the most recent one. It came out uh, maybe a couple weeks or months ago. Um, and it's a platformer in the vein of like um, uh, Super Meat Boy and Plus Plus, where it's a uh, single screen um Lots of like spinning blades to avoid and spikes to avoid. You just have to like uh, get to get to collect the three dots or however many dots are on screen, and that's it. Um, but you interact with it by basically like using your thumbs to tilt the world. You can't actually jump, so you're just tilting it so the edges of the world like ramp up so that you slide to the left and then you slide up the ramp, and that gets you enough momentum to carry you up and onto a platform. And then there might be a springboard that shoots you up somewhere else. Um, so all you're doing is ever tilting the level to move your character around. Um, so it's like a pretty interesting input. Um, and he just does some really wonderful stuff with the level design. And there's sort of like the mainline path through each level. And then there's the like par time. If you actually want to hit the time, which helps you to get you a little more sort of in-game credit to unlock more levels. Uh, and those often require a whole different approach to a level. So again, sort of like subverting how you would go through a level normally and thinking like, what is the efficient, like weird way to approach this to like do it fast enough. Um, and he's just really great. His games all have like uh, simple stylish art direction. Uh, great like music and sound is a big part of his games um so yeah seesaw again highly recommended but uh commie box i would check out like his whole catalog anything that looks interesting to you um hi- yeah highest recommendation for mobile games seesaw awesome. is a game of yeah. the day i might have purchased it while you were talking <laughs> it's a uh, oh wait, it's a game of the day on, on the app, app store, store. It's a, i don't oh it's wow today's right now is recording but i searched for it and it lists as a uh, game of the day seesaw yeah and it's like Oh, that's Pink, funny. Awesome. White. This sounds awesome. Do you remember Jeff and Nick? Those, those, uh, God, I'm going to play Seesaw here. I promise I won't play while well, you guys are talking about tabletop games. Um, <clears throat> uh, those labyrinth, like those wooden things, where it's like the marble and you have to kind of, yeah, get it, like it, a yeah, broken hole, totally. but it's, you know, it's more of a maze. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hated those. Those things made me feel like <laughs> I, I loved it, but there was like a tingle, like deep in my stomach of frustration as I was like, <laughs> Go like uh, that beer game at the bar that we go to. Oh yes, uh, ice cold beer. beer. Yes, that's the best. Are, are you familiar that that's the um, inspiration for the game Tum- Tumble Seed? Is yes, it? yes, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah it's basically yep. very directly. Yeah, Tumble Seed is is really cool. It's like that, but because it's digital, we can do all these crazy, insane yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. It's basically like let's take ice cold beer and and Splunky and make yeah. a baby. Yeah, oh, that game is, man, I'm yeah. excited. 
Um, yeah, there's, there's a, so there's a, gol- a little mini golf course, indoor one here in San Francisco called Urban Putt near me in the mission. And uh, they, I just did it for the first time recently and went through their 14 holes. And one of their holes is basically a giant one of those like rolling machines <laughs> where you put your golf ball in and you tilt the table with these like knobs and you try to get it to one of several holes and get it as far Amazing. as Amazing. Really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It's also funny that you mentioned Crocodile because I uh, I have a board that I got from Kickstarter a couple of years ago and I just brought it in like two days ago to the co-working space that I'm in so we can have it around there to play, oh. which uh, is an is an excellent game. I as wish well. we could have that in the office that we go into, Christian. Because we should get it. I, I don't know. Very you should get it. <laughs> I, well, uh, actually, the one the, that's why I got this one because it was a hundred bucks when it was on Kickstarter, and I think it's not much more than that now, and it's really nice. So, like, yeah, you should. I'll, I'll send you the link. It's very that good. type of game, and I guess Belunky, like the, some of these platformers, but it is it like re, there's like a feeling that those games give of like you're constantly on the edge, and I, it's just like deep in my gut of like suspense and agony, and when it works out, like the one in a thousand times. It it works out <laughs> is the best feeling and the rest of the time it just sticks with me all day yeah, yeah. just get over to the uh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah you guys I, I forget the name of it so this maybe won't be worth keeping in your show but have you guys been to that uh so i know you're in la there's that new sort of um arcade pub space that has a bunch of different like uh, I don't know, different games of different sorts, maybe digital and physical games. Yeah, I think that's what... Um, do you know, you know the thing I'm talking well, about? There's a couple. There's, I don't know which one you're talking about. But, one of the uh, ones is what I was referencing when I said that beer game where we went. It, there's They have ice cold beer mash. at yeah. this place called Button Mash. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's not the one you're talking okay. about. There's like a few... No, there was, there was one that opened like that seemed like sort of a big deal a couple months ago. That was like a big new thing that seemed very like big. And oh, I think we have that in Slack. Yeah, the, LA is it's booming with these things right now. I went to Neon Retro yeah. Arcade, which is in like Pasadena near. If you're not in LA, near kind of the Rose Bowl where the that parade and big football game happen. Um, and it's just like stand up arcade games. And I was like, oh, it's kind mm-hmm. of drizzly out. It won't be that crowded packed man it was awesome pac-man they had pac-man wow. they didn't have pac-man and miss pac-man oh the the one i'm talking about is actually called two-bit circus okay oh, yeah yeah we've heard i've heard yeah. of that one i haven't been okay it looks yeah. really cool anyway that's what nick's been playing um <laughs> christian what's on your playlist um so this isn't just where i praise games that nick has worked on i promise <laughs> um i'm fine with that <laughs> but i did i finished guacamelee 2 we haven't talked about it yet uh, because of our prediction episode last week but that game is phenomenal it's it's so well done and for me just the absolute perfect length i think it was i was just under 11 11 hours to kind of finish the campaign and do a lot of side stuff but not all of it and as I was really in that moment of like, I love these games. I want to play more of these games. I almost repurchased Hollow Knight to play on my Switch. And I guess that's like 20 to 25 hours. And I wasn't able to make that commitment. That seems too long uh, to me. So I don't know. But I don't want to talk bad about Hollow Knight, which I've only played five hours of. But Guacamelee was just that perfect length of... Uh, time in the game, experiencing the world, frustration, elation, and then completing the narrative and being able to go back and, and jump around the world and try to explore for secrets. And what I love about Guacamelee so much is the way that it incorporates what so many of these games do with either their combat or their traversal, but it applies it to both. So the skills that you're unlocking you know, over the kind of Metroidvania-esque world to wall run, double jump, whatever these, you know, traditional skills you're thinking about, super missile to blow open a door to get to a new area, oftentimes are just for exploration and traversal. 
But in Guacamelee, both one and two, those moves are attacks, you know, like a dragon punch or a dash punch. Um, and so you use them to traverse the levels. But then also when you in, enter the combat arenas, um, they're using those same skills. So it really does feel like, you know, you're still playing music, which is how I described Celeste and a lot of these platformers that when things go right, it's, you know, like you're sitting there playing piano and in <laughs> this wonderful concert hall and everything is flying out just right. And the combat in Guacamelee manages to strike that same feeling where you're switching between your different abilities and power-ups to keep a hit streak going. And it, 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 it does it better than almost any of these games do the way it marries those two things. Like I love Ori. I'm super excited for Ori. Um, Celeste really doesn't mess with combat, which I think makes it a very wonderful and pure game. The game, of course I sung its praises enough, but the way that Guacamelee two um, combined both of those elements so well um i can't recommend it enough having now completed the game it's fantastic so d- did you did you get the there's there's two endings you know what you got did you get did you do all the, the chicken challenges no i there's at least one i couldn't i couldn't figure out okay and i haven't gone back to it and i was like i can't do it. and I, I just moved on from it but now is it there, worth doing there is one uh, there, there is like a, a, a quote better ending that is sort of cool to to see given you know how it ends normally yeah. that is maybe yeah. worth doing if you're still enjoying the okay. game. Uh, but it's not worth like you know making yourself frustrated. <laughs> well, there is this thing called the internet that I'm sure would have a explanation on how to do it. Never heard of it. They show it. Exactly you got you to earn it though. You got to earn the fate of one. <laughs> yeah. I will say too. Like also, I really. I mean, I, I it, it's weird because like I I worked on these games, but I still. I still feel okay, like praising them fairly objectively because I also came along late enough in the process, both for that and Celeste were like, it, you know, it, it already was pretty far along. And in the case of Guacamelee 2, I mostly didn't work on like the main story. I wrote lots of NPC dialogue and helped as an editor with a lot of stuff and all that. So anyway, I, I'm just preemptively, preemptively saying that so I don't sound like I'm just praising my own stuff. Um, but I found the ending actually to be really like touching and nice and thoughtful and especially like the game's very silly oftentimes, but the ending I thought was really great. Like I remember playing it for the first time too. And I was, even when it was still sort of partially storyboards and I was like, wow, that's like a really, a really nice ending to this. Yeah. It, it the first game had that too. And it is, it's, it's, it's sweet and, and sentimental yeah. in a nice way that it's like, Oh, you're actually telling a story of this family and of this individual. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. What I did end up buying instead of hollow Knight again, I, I did rebuy a game. Because apparently the Wii U was incredible, um, and I buy all of the <laughs> games as they come out again. Bayonetta two I found on sale, which on Switch bundled with Bayonetta, the digital code for Bayonetta one, and I'm working through Bayonetta two again. And another game that is just everybody's already sung its praises. I had not played the Switch version before. Um, typically, I'm not a person that notices frame rate. I don't think per se, where it's like, oh, this is clearly a superior version of this game. But playing it docked. It, it really does. And I didn't pull out my Wii U again to do a one-to-one, but it felt more fluid than I remembered it feeling. And while I have some problems with that game, uh, stuff that again has been talked about, I love the character of Bayonetta, but there's like the instance I'll mention, it's like early in the game and she's like jumps on some angel horse or whatever. And all she needs to do is ride off into the sunset. But instead it like zooms in on her butt as it like bounces in slow motion on the saddle. And she's like, uh, and then rides away it's, I guess, tonally appropriate for those games, but playing it again, having not played it in whenever it first came out on Wii U, it's like, I, I get her hairs, her clothes, I get a lot of it, and then there's just these moments in Metal Gear. A lot of games have 
issues similar and i don't want to just write them off and say well, those are games um but i'm struggling with that as i otherwise enjoy just the superb action combat that bayonetta 2 offers and um if you slept on it or thought oh it's just a re-release of an old game um it's fantastic i think it's that devil may cry i'm waiting for devil may cry 5 to come out <laughs> or bayonetta 3 right we're gonna bayonetta 3 aren't we yeah at some point they've been kind of radio silent on that game i feel like yeah um but I'm excited. And the last thing, I don't need to talk about it long, but I did. I've gone back to it and put about maybe four or five more hours into Red Dead 2. And I still love it. I think I mentioned this to you offline, Jeff, that my fear is that Red Dead will be like Metal Gear Solid 5 for me, right. where it's a game that I love and just never put enough time into because it's the same thing like Metal Gear. I wanted to sit down and digest every inch of this barren world or plan my attack on this fortress just perfectly and have everything set up just right and so instead i didn't play it enough um so i recommitted to red dead a little bit you put four or five more hours in it so you basically walked from one end of your campsite to the other (laughs) well i talked to everybody along the way though but but i love it it's still when i do make the time to play it um yeah i really love it my wife wanted to finish watching bodyguard on netflix which we did end up finishing She's like, do you want to watch? And I was like, no, I'm going to play Red Dead. And I that felt like that was a good moment for me. <laughs> you, you're not going to finish that game, right? Honestly, no. I hope to, but probably not, just yeah. being realistic. Mm. Interesting. Um, all right. So to my playlist, uh, so we had sort of a break-ish, although, you know, holidays are never really a break because you feel like there's family stuff constantly. It's It's chaos. So I felt like, okay. I'm really going to finish Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And then I had, I had like a little, uh, little procedure done uh, the other day and I ha- I couldn't, I had to stay immobile and uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have a solid day. I'm just going to power through and finally finish Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I've put inordinate amount of time into this game. I haven't looked at my, save game lately but i bet i'm in the 70 to 80 hour mark at this point um on that game and uh i love it so much and i've been doing (laughs) everything and i still didn't finish it i couldn't i i I, the thing that's interesting about assassin's creed odyssey is that it kind of has two parallel narrative tracks going on i mean this is aside from the numerous numerous side quests but there are two sort of main Odyssey quest things going on. I finished one of them, which had a pretty rad ending, I thought. And the game gets super sci-fi, which is really cool because you can play this game for hundreds of hours and never get any sci-fi stuff at all. Just be in ancient Greece and and just live in that world and have everything kind of authentic to that world in a video game way. But uh, Or you can do all this stuff and then it's got that Assassin's Creed sort of animus sci-fi stuff, which you know, comes in at the end and is, I think is really cool. It's still pulpy, but I like it anyway. So I did finish that, which was very satisfying and cool, but the main story of Cassandra, cause I am playing as Cassandra and her family dynamic is the one that I'm, I realized, Oh, there's a lot more to do. <laughs> I thought I was pretty close on her story, but then I keep getting these questions. Have you seen like, credits? Not that that defines no. the end of a game. So this plot line that you finished it wasn't like congratulations and then you saw the hundred people that worked on it or whatever it was just no what happened was what happens is and this is not a spoiler but i will say there is a 
very denouement tonally moment where people are standing looking at the sunset, <laughs> you know, in the distance. And then one of them turns to the other and goes, well, there's still a lot more to do. <laughs> you're like, oh. right at you. Yeah. You are not yeah. done. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think that if you have done her stuff or, you know, the family quest line before that, maybe it wouldn't do that. I'm not sure. I don't know how, how that all works. But one of the cool things about that game is you can do stuff in any order. Anyway, I say all that to tell you I've put so much time into this game and I have I keep falling deeper in love with it. I have been tempting myself to try to come up with doing like a um, top five design decision, like YouTube video, which I'm probably never going to do. But I wanted to talk about some of my favorite design decisions from Assassin's Creed Odyssey that I think make it one of the best role-playing games I've ever played. Well, you got to so, finish the game first. We can't have this conversation yet. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> just kidding. Maybe not. Just kidding. <laughs> well, I figure like when I finish the game, I can have a different conversation about the game as a whole. But uh, so these are some of the design design decisions that I, I won't belabor it too long, but um, one is how health is handled by your character. So there's the only way you can regain health when you're in combat is to either talent into it. There's a talent that takes up one of your talent slots. It takes up one of your special ability slots that lets you get back your health, which is cool. Or by escaping combat and getting out of it completely, having losing their, you know, knowledge of where you are, and then you can regain your health. <coughs> Excuse me. So the thing I like about that is there's never any health potion to drink. You're never drinking a health potion. There's nothing fun about drinking a health potion. And I think it's something that has sort of stuck around since you know, D and D, but it's this vestige of a, a a thing. That's just, it's not particularly fun to drink a health potion. It is fun to use this talent because the only way that I'm able to use the talent is if I've built up adrenaline. And the only way to build up adrenaline is by doing things successfully by hitting people in combat, (coughs) landing attacks or blocking attacks. So it encourages me to engage in the game rather than wait around for my health meter to, to refill or something like that. Or I can try to escape the situation entirely and, you know, hide and do assassin stuff, which kind of reinforces the Assassin's Creed element. Like, can you get away? Can you escape into the night? Can you blend in? Can you hide effectively? So I love how the game is using the health system to reinforce its key concepts and, getting me to play the game more rather than just push a button and drink a health potion or, um, you know, wait for my health, like hide in a corner until my health refills. Did you ever, I don't, I, I think we can belabor this. I don't want to rush through this conversation because I think it's fascinating. Did you ever play snake eater metal gear three? Uh, I don't know if that's one of the ones I missed because that may be one of the ones I skipped having only put, you know, five, that's the one hours. in the woods, right? Mostly in the woods. Yeah. yeah. Having only put like five, 10 hours into odyssey, I can't comment on it as as uh, well as you can, but like this discussion, like that game, Metal Gear Three, and it eating and the way it balanced that without making it overly annoying, but also making it a resource and something that you had to be aware of, I thought was fascinating. Um, and then Doom twenty sixteen, the way it yeah. also reinforced you're here to kill stuff. <laughs> like, right? You want to get healthy? 
go kill this huge monster. Good luck, jerk. Like, yeah, no, that's what, another game that I was going to reference. It, Doom, it, it, it uses the systems in the game and encourages you to jump forward, which is what the game wants, rather than retreating away and, and not playing effectively, you know? Yeah. So that's one of the key systems I think they do well. The other thing is loot. This game handles loot in a really, really fun, smart way. Loot is everywhere. You're constantly grabbing it. It, it's awards for quests. It's, it's lying around. It's on. Anytime you see a weapon rack in an enemy territory, you can loot that and it'll give you weapons. <clears throat> That's how games should be. If you see something that looks like a weapon rack, it should give you a weapon, right? And in a lot of games like this, role-playing games, where you get tons of loot, so much of your loot it becomes useless and... Uh, cumbersome because you'll have inventory constraints. You'll be, uh, you just be get, get junk, you know, Diablo's this way. You're just going to get junk for 90% of the time. You're waiting for that cool one drop. Well, <clears throat> Assassin's Creed gives you a lot of wide ranging loot. A lot of it, not very little of it junk at a certain point, but a lot of it not useful to you because you have awesome weapons. But first of all, there's no inventory limit. So, there's never this weird moment of like, oh, I got to drop this because that might be worth more at a vendor. I can, I have to sell it. No, just take everything. The game doesn't care. The game is always wanting you to have fun. It is every decision seems to be like, how can we help you enjoy yourself here? And one of those things is you can just pick up everything and, <laughs> you know, okay, so it doesn't make any sense, but fine. Like, we just want you to have a good time. And then uh, you... You have complete customization of everything. You, you like the, the stats of one piece of armor, but you like the look of another? Switch it. Switch the look. Keep the stats. Make it look like this other piece of armor you've got. Do you like a weapon that you got, but you out-leveled it, so it's not as powerful as something else you're picking up, but you like that old weapon? That's fine. Go to a blacksmith, pay, and they'll upgrade that old weapon to be a current level with where you are. It The game is constantly reinforcing, hey, do this how you want. All the weapons have stats on them. Even legendary items have these stat slots. So you can swap in other stats and other traits. And that brings me to the upgrade path and resources in the game are so brilliantly well thought out. Everything interlocks in the game. So there are very few uh resources in the game there are you know just a handful of resources it doesn't complicate itself with myriad resources there's just a handful and you get them a whole bunch of different ways and they apply to everything the same resources the same wood and stone and stuff that you use to to upgrade your weapons and armor work upgrading your ship so everything is useful and when you have a bunch of weapons, you could always break them down in their component parts and they will give you those resources. So there's never any reason to not pick something up and you can break those things down at any time. You don't have to go to somebody to do it. Just break them down and, and get a bunch of resources or hold on to them and sell them later. Everything is always useful. And so it's always worth your while to loot stuff, which is what you want because it's a game where loot is everywhere and they're smart enough to put loot everywhere and make exploration rewarding by placing little bits of loot everywhere, little weapon racks, little chests, cool, awesome, epic chests, or just regular chests, or even the fact that there are money, little deposits of money in enemy strongholds and stuff, but they don't like have a, a big pot of money and then that's it. You got to find that pot of money. They have 
like 40 different little bits of money. So you get like 10 drachmi, which is their currency, uh, but you get them like 40 times. So it encourages you looking at every nook and cranny. It it adds up to being a significant amount of money, but only if you really scour locations. And the fact that you're looting over and over is really fun. You're like constantly like, oh, look, there's cool stuff there. Oh, there's cool stuff there. So it's constantly, again, encouraging you to do the things that are fun. And the trait system on all the weapons and armor is super customizable. You can swap in and swap out traits and there are cool epic traits and there are things that, that, uh, you know, add better stats and stuff. And so you can make a weapon how you want it to be. And the way they award that stuff, the award system, the progression system is tied into that because everything you do, whether it's solving riddles, there's a bunch of riddles in the game that you, that you can solve or, uh, doing just basic challenges like kill 50 dudes with a dagger, all of that stuff it's keeping track of awards you these new traits that you can then put back onto your weapons and become more powerful. So everything is tied back in. Everything is useful. Everything is worth doing. They're giving XP to you all the time, which lets you get new talents. The talent system is really interesting. It's a game that just every system flows into every other system and makes doing every single thing in the game fun, worthwhile, rewarding, and pleasurable. It, it's, it's just a beautifully designed game that, yes, borrows from a lot of games that came before. The, you know, a whole other rant I could go on is how the mercenary system works and how the, how the, um, the big bad in the game it works. Maybe I'll do that in a later episode. But it, I'm just so impressed with how every single thing leads me to have fun and want to do more and play more of the game. It's it, it strikes me. It's funny. I, I've been thinking about uh, well, a few hours into Red Dead Redemption. Um, I, I probably played, I don't know, six hours of it or something. Um, and I was finding that game to be really sort of hostile to the player. And it's like that's sort of the, our ethos is like we're going to make our game like difficult to play in a lot of ways. The controls are like awkward and we're just going to kill you if you try to like, you know, walking down this path, maybe some bandits will rob you and kill you. And that's it. Like in a lot of ways, the game like doesn't want you to play it. Uh, And I that to me is like weirdly compelling in like a masochistic way. I'm like, man, I really don't want me to play this game. That makes me want to play this game and like get past that. Um, But it's interesting hearing you talk about this because I was thinking like, well, if I'm going to play like a big AAA open world thing, I have been pretty interested by Assassin's Creed. And it's been a long time since I played an Assassin's Creed. And what you're talking about is pretty much the opposite across the board. where like every single thing you do feeds back in and it's all for the player's benefit instead of like, you know, in Red Dead, it's like, oh, we need you to like brush your horse's mane. Um, and hope that you enjoy it, even it's just a requirement for you to do so your horse doesn't get dirty so that it doesn't cause other problems, not that it's fun inherently. And I'm not saying it needs to be inherently fun, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, one is better than the other, but it's, it's interesting hearing the comparison of you talking about this where it's like everything is just about having you have the the most fun experience at any given time, and everything you're doing always ties back into stuff you want. Yeah, to do and I wouldn't say that the other approach is never worthwhile. Like there are <clears throat> plenty of games where I appreciate what I've well, actually Dan Trachtenberg on TRS used to sit called the good suck. Like it, it sucks, but it's good. It's <laughs> like, that's, that's the fun impediment yeah. to get over, which feels so satisfying when you transcend it. And I, I, there are plenty of games that do that. And I think that even a lot of people have talked as you just did about how there's something inherently fascinating about red dead's approach to that. But 
you know, and, and I can't predict when I'll bounce off of it or when I'll enjoy it. I think that there, you know, it, for, there's some magic sauce to when that kind of thing works for me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. And I, you know, or not hard, but, um, uh, what did you, what did you call it? Um, um, hostile, <laughs> hostile to the game. It's yeah, hostile, yeah. but, but there's something that's compelling about it. But uh, it is so refreshing when I have a game that's asking me to be part of it or not even asking, but just offering the amount of content that Odyssey offers. And I find myself wanting to put that many hours into it because constantly I'm just having a blast. I'm just rewarded, Mm -hmm. feeling great, empowered. I mean, there's a, the the whole world scales with you, which is cool. I'm in the the late fifties and levels. I'm like level 58, I think right now. And all the enemy, all the areas, which used to have level, distinctions on them now are just say my level because I've out leveled the entire game, but everything scales with me. So stuff is still challenging. And yet also I feel empowered where I used to be really scared going into a big fort, big stronghold and feeling like I need to um, silently assassinate everybody, which is super fun still. But now last night I was playing and I would just walk through the front door like the biggest badass ever and said, bring it on. And like 30 dudes came down on me. They announced the, the, uh, the alarm. They all came at me and I just fought them all because I have so many talents. Now I'm like better at the game and I could do that and I could take it on. And you know, the mercenaries are coming at me and I've just, I just had this marathon session where I just took on an army myself and I mean, so the game, I don't feel OP, but I do feel more powerful. So there's this cool balance that they found there as well. It's a great game. I, I, want, I want to ask you like a Sophie's Choice question just because I'm very curious if you respond. So should I either try Assassin's Creed Odyssey having not played? I don't think I played one since uh, Black Flag and even that was only a little bit. So I haven't meaningfully played one in a long time. Or go back and finish God of War, which I played probably 60% of, let's say, and and put it down, you know, 20 hours in, mostly because I was like, all right, I don't know, Kratos is sort of a bum out. I'm enjoying it, but I feel like I've, like, had enough of this game, in a sense. Wow. I wasn't, I, I do like it a lot and respect it a lot, but, because there's a good chance I will only do one of those things. So I'm curious to ask you uh, which of your babies I would, you I mean, b- based on the given yeah. circumstances, I'd probably suggest Odyssey simply because you it's a known quantity for God of War and you kind of were felt okay with it. I mean, I think God of War is the superior game sort of from an art art as game perspective. I think it's more an mm-hmm. artful game than Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but having not played it at all, and you probably haven't played the Assassin's Creed franchise in a while. Uh, yep. I think you should give it a shot. It, it's a stunningly beautiful game. It's a stunningly beautiful world. It makes me want to travel to Greece. You know, like it's just like, wow. it's just gorgeous and massive and interesting. It, it's also interesting hearing you talk about it from that perspective of like games as art and God of War. Because actually, then I immediately thought of the other side. It does sound like Assassin's Creed, if you think of like games as product, is also a very effective product. Like it is, it does have breadth and longevity and like a lot of, you know, AAA games need to like, make you not want to trade them in and it's doing that in very positive ways and not cynical ways and that's that's cool to hear i think if you're going to do it that way it's like at least you know look out for the player's experience yeah i think that's exactly right i think it's it's always giving me more to do and even they've had a bunch of post-release updates as well and there's like these monthly or weekly uh like these blue quests that show up that i've done a couple of that are all added after the game has come out it's there's always more to do and it's uh it's incredible that the game has that much content and that 
it's all pretty interesting. I mean, there's, there's a few quests here and there that were just like, Hey, go deliver this to a guy. But most of them, most of the quests were interesting and unexpected and had some comedy in them. For example, it's, I, I'm astounded that the game even can exist, that, that a game that that's, is that big and yet feels handcrafted can even be made at all is pretty staggering to me. Nick, can I suggest a third option? Yes, please. It's this game called Spider-Man. Have you played it? Because that's what I would pick. I finished Spider-Man. Okay, then Okay, then your Sophie's Choice <laughs> remains, because I feel like that's the perfect balance of these two, where it's like yep. not oppressive, uh, doesn't weigh on you the way God of War can, and it's not as big as Assassin's Creed, so you could get through it. And it sounds like you did all of those things. <laughs> so maybe that's it. Maybe my choice is to play Spider-Man and move on with my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, someone in the chat said somewhere, it, it has now since passed, but it was the idea of like, oh man, uh, I, need, I really need to put more time into Assassin's Creed before all the big games of this year start coming out. And I just replied, narrator voice, you didn't. Because it's, it's already happening, right? Like Kingdom Hearts is here. Uh, like you, yeah, this, like this window weeks. of like, ah, I guess I will go back and revisit some of this stuff. It, it's it's closing quickly. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, I'm gonna stop messing around and just like do the get to the end. And then I I started doing the get to the end, and I was like, oh, this game has a lot to go before I'm at the end. Uh, I see in the chat, uh, Slimleg78 says I'm 145 hours in and still not finished. Wow. My my question to you, Jeff, and I don't. I was been. Thinking about this as you were talking, I really don't mean it to sound negative toward Assassin's Creed because I also am enjoying the game. I obviously have not played as much as you have, um, but I do think it's a phenomenal game. But it is, though, I think I forget the term Nick that you use, but like game as game or whatever. Game as product. Um, yeah. yeah, game as product. To what on like a continuum, I feel like there's something farther. Let's just use left because as I'm sitting here with my hands farther left than Red Dead Redemption 2 and then somewhere there's Assassin's Creed and then way farther right there's just a clicker game right like (laughs) cookie clicker like literally everything you're it's like you walked congrats you turned congrats you smiled congrats that's a tree congrats you know like and I'm not saying Assassin's Creed is is near that I think it's closer to it than um, Red Dead is but like where on that continuum do you think your breaking point would be in terms of like rewarding and feedbacking because everything you're doing in assassin's creed it it does reward you the player but it also doesn't need to in the sense that if i'm not finding all of that stuff and seeking all of those nooks and crammies out the game isn't inaccessible to me and like you said the game kind of levels with you and you're more powerful now than you were before but not in a way where the game is broken, right? Everything kind of rises with you. So you're getting rewarded, but not in a way that makes your play experience on a late level part of the game vastly different than mine, but it's good jobbing you a whole bunch along the way. Do you think there is like a point where that becomes obnoxious or what about Assassin's Creed's maybe perfect balance of it? Do you think you find so endearing? Well, that's a big question. And I think, you got two minutes. <laughs> Some of it is a question that I wrestle with all the time. It just in video games in general is this feeling of like, am I just like, is it just, you know, my, my lizard brain is getting its pleasure center. Uh, you know, am I, am I breaking my brain by needing constant positive reinforcement for things? And I don't want to go down that path because that's a whole psychological self analysis that I've in the process of that. I just don't know 
the answer to? Well, maybe it's like in Red Dead, you know, I had this beautiful moment with the game uh, the last time I was playing it. And at no point did I get an achievement. I didn't get XP for it. I didn't get anything. But it was just like this moment that I thought was pretty profound. Where I was like, well, that's wow. That's really cool. And then it happened to be when I was there, the sun was setting. And I was like, awesome. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I that's where I was going to go. It's like not wanting to go down the psychoanalysis angle. What I will say is what I like about video games that I don't find in life is that if I'm, you know, uh, I don't know, driving down the road or on an airplane or something and I look out the window and I go, wow, that looks really interesting over there. If I were to actually get out and walk over there, it probably wouldn't be interesting, right? It would maybe be interesting architecturally or something like that, but there wouldn't be any there there. And what's great about video games, or at least ones that I enjoy, is that in Assassin's Creed, if that looks interesting, I walk to the top of that mountain and there may be a chest of cool stuff that's useful to me in my game. Um, and that you can talk about as far as a, a you did good job reward system. I talk about it in the sense of it. there's being a there there. There's a hmm. reason to do what I do. And along the way, I also may enjoy the sunset. Another thing I really haven't talked about very much with regard to Assassin's Creed Odyssey is for some reason, this is the first game, the first game where I've used the photo mode. I use it all the time in this game. And it's weird because I've never cared about photo mode. God of War has a photo mode and people put amazing photos online. Smiling Kratos is pretty great. <laughs> I never used it. Not once did I. I just don't care about photo modes in games. This game, I'm constantly using it. I don't know if that's because they surface those photos to other players automatically in the world and I'm seeing other players' photos or if this game is just uniquely beautiful and there's cool – I'm constantly doing cool things. But one of the great things about the Assassin's Creed franchise from the start is I must have done it hundreds of times now over multiple games, probably hundreds of times just in this game. Doing the leap of faith is never not fun. It's never not fun. Leaping leap of faithing in in uh, Assassin's Creed is always fun, and I'm constantly like taking photos of me mid leap out this amazing, <laughs> cool. Anyway, um, but I say that to say that I also am enjoying the cool sunset I see, or the amazing shimmer on the on the sea of the moon with ships in the night, or. Um, all kinds of other things. And I, I really hope there's a way for me to share my photos at some point with everybody. Cause I would love for people to see the cool photos I've made in this game, but I wouldn't, I don't think I would just appreciate that. I wouldn't want to just crest the mountain and see that thing. And that be enough. I also want some cool there, there, and maybe that's a unfortunate need for positive reinforcement that is psychologically flawed, but I do need it. I, it's not enough for me to have the Red Dead Redemption like, oh, you journeyed this far and what you got was a cool sunset. It's interesting because I think on the other – I don't know where it is on this uh, fictional spectrum I created. But something like Uncharted or that style of game, right, where you will see the beautiful sunset in that game. But there's not necessarily a there there in terms of a chest or something that you find or unlock. But what there is – it's so guided and narrative driven that you see it because you have to see it. I see the same sunset you see. You see the same helicopter crashing into the side of the ancient ruin that topples down, that starts the flood, then we run away from that Nick sees, and we all plan to have the same experience. So it gives you those beautiful, breathtaking moments because 
that's the path you take versus Assassin's Creed can create beautiful, breathtaking moments, which I haven't played every game with water in it, but for my money, I think Odyssey might have the best waves of any game I've played. <laughs> I can just stand on the shore and kind of watch them roll in. Um, but then it rewards it with XP boost, right? Like something that aids yeah. you, air quote, in your quest. And Red Dead certainly does not do that. Um, you might have a, like, I a see that the moment, but you're not rewarded in that same way. But I see that the freaking Autobahn Society has people in Red Dead Redemption 2 bird watching. Like that, they're just oh, in a whole Red compendium Dead. came out. Did you look at that? It's incredible. It, it's it's kind of, but the game doesn't reward you for doing that. No, no, no. But that's, I mean, there's, that's the counter argument to what I'm saying is like, those people don't need there to be a cool chest. They just found (laughs) all the birds (laughs) and they're, they're, the world is robust enough and the world isn't, is presented in a way that is offering that kind of thing where it's like, well, you find your own joy here. We're not going to give you a chest of joy because that's not how life is and there's something i respect about that i just i don't know i i I want more i think it's also interesting thinking about the and i realize this is this is we're going all the way down the rabbit hole but i I think it's a interesting business discussion too because no other game could afford to do what red dead does like they can do it because they're rockstar and they know that the game's going to sell regardless of what the game is to some extent and so they can have a lot of these like inherently meaningful things that don't have overt like UI rewards tied to them and have that be a big part of the experience. And they can just try to make something artful. Uh, I think Assassin's Creed can sort of split the difference because, you know, they're, it's a, it's a franchise that has a lot of IP power at this point. It's been around a long time. They have a built in audience so they can afford to be artful as well. Whereas like, you know, uh, a sort of not, there are many of these things, but like a new IP open world game, that were to come out now, if, if it's a brand new thing, it can't, and it has to sort of err on the side of like, we need to really, uh, you know, make the player loop very compelling. We need to sort of make it addictive if we can, which I don't know if that's a great thing, but like, it sort of also depends on what you can afford to do with your franchise, with your game. Um, if you're releasing something huge that you want to sell on a retail shelf for 60 bucks and have people not trade it in. So like, these are all considerations, I think, that sort of go hand in hand with where you put things on that spectrum. it's a fascinating discussion i didn't expect to go that long on it but i think it's worthwhile and interesting i just don't want to give short shrift to tabletop time because i know i want to (laughs) this this will come back and this will come back throughout the course of this year i'm sure with games that come out and eventually you have to beat odyssey so i'm sure it will come back yeah i (laughs) mean come back around it really is tick tock tick tock now before uh, kingdom hearts comes out so i gotta i gotta get on it i really thought i would be done by today i was this was planning to be a uh i wrapped it up uh, but no, there's no, you don't, you don't need to do that anymore, Jeff. I don't need to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Let's, uh, <laughs> carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. I am particularly excited about this tabletop time because when I reached out to Nick to be on the show today, he said, uh, I hope you're excited about some obscure Japanese board games. And I said, <laughs> yes. So uh, what, what have you been playing on the table? Well, that's that's been like uh, an Odyssey. Continue talking about Odyssey's Odyssey of this of 2018 for me really is um, getting going deep down a different rabbit hole of Japanese board games. Um, and the scene I, there is getting really robust, right? It's, it's exploding. 
It's amazing. And it's its own thing. And uh, it seems fairly specific to Japan where they have this like huge, like independent board game scene. And some of them are making their way now onto retail shelves in the US. But uh, it's amazing there. And they have this to- uh, at least twice annual uh, event called Tokyo Games Market or Games Market. They have it in Osaka as well now, um, which I'm hoping to go to this coming May uh, if I can. And I had uh, a friend pick me up some stuff and send it back where it's just tons of uh, independent creators like who make sometimes like five copies of a game and they're selling it there. Um, but it's amazing. it's amazing handmade stuff, and that's not anyway. That's not all I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about sort of relatively bigger stuff too. But I just find that um, Japanese games, like one, they tend to be a small box often, and I live in a very small apartment, um, so that actually genuinely helps me a lot of being able to like buy more games uh, is that they're small. Um, but there's also sort of uh, a lot of like desi- I mean, some design constraints inherently come with that. But there's also uh, a sort of elegance and a focus, um, like with a lot of Japanese culture, um, and, and sometimes video games, uh, that, um, that I appreciate. And I feel like a lot, I mean, now I, I don't know, I'm, I'm starting to notice it more and more when I'm playing a lot of like big sprawling Western games, but I'm like, oh, there's some, you know, one whole track or mechanic where I feel like you could just like lop it off and make a better, tighter game. Um, they're just yeah. always things I can sort of nitpick at, I guess. But a lot of Japanese games, they really sort of are what they are and they have a focus and they have a very tight rule set. Um, and I appreciate that. And they're often things I can like sit down and teach and play in like 40 minutes too, which I like. And I find myself gravitating more and more towards. Sometimes I still like big you know, big multi-hour things. Um, but anyway, it's just, there's a, and of course the, the art direction is just beautiful and insane and gorgeous. And that's probably what drew me in in the first place yeah. and really great themes too. So, and you, uh, um, you traveled to, to uh, Japan just recently, right? Yeah. I was there actually twice last year, uh, luckily sort of for work stuff. Um, and the second time I was there, I was like, I'm going to spend several days just journeying around Tokyo, going to different board game stores. Awesome. Uh, I took a train for an hour to Yokohama to go to a place, a guy's studio apartment. Cause I heard he bought and resold games. Uh, and wow. I was looking for some obscure used stuff. And it, so it's, it's sort of a whole culture of its own. And it's, it's a fun thing where I think, uh, um, if you're a modern collector of things, oftentimes you can just like pay as much money as it takes online to buy the thing you want. But a lot of these things can like only be found if I track them down on foot. And that's like a fun challenge on its own. But Dude, anyways, so briefly some games. Um, so one I played last night, actually, uh, there's this a guy named Jordan Draper, um, who's released a handful of games at this point. And he, I believe is American, but he's, he's lives in Tokyo. Um, and he's designed a lot of these games based on different parts of Japanese culture and uh and tokyo in like a literal architectural way and he released this trilogy of games the tokyo series uh he had a kickstarter for them last year um or maybe even the year before and i just received it recently and uh so one of the games in it is about uh vending machines because they're all over (laughs) tokyo and this comes with little like bottles that you put in them and they fall down and he actually had like 20 different designers 20 ish um, design different games you can play with this simple set and some are dexterity games and some are like strategy games and it's really cool uh, another part of the trilogy is Tokyo, uh, Tokyo Jutaku, I think, where you're sort of building the architectural foundations of a house out of these beautiful wooden pieces and more of a puzzle game. And then the one I played last night, uh, the third part of this trilogy that came together was called Tokyo Metro. And I should send you a picture of it later because it's sort of a it covered like my entire small table uh, with this beautiful like fabric map and this other track. And it's it's a whole map of the Tokyo subways, which if you've ever wow. seen are pretty insane uh, and a million pieces. Um, and but it, t- it took us a while to sort of get into it and learn it because we were sort of learning as we played. Um but it, it's actually a fairly like simple game in its execution, and a lot of it is sort of your 
moving around Tokyo and you're um, sort of about just it's like a, a, a bit of a Euro game in execution and you're uh, investing in different train lines. And as those trains move and stop at different, you can also build build at stations. And so as those uh, trains you've invested in pass through stations, your investment goes up. Or if it's someone else's train that passes you, you get money paid out. Um, and the nuts and bolts of it are like pretty crunchy Euro game stuff of like buying and selling commodities sort of and betting on other people's trains lines while you're moving around the track of Tokyo. It all, it, it's just like... Uh, it's sprawling, but it's very fun. You have like some simple, interesting choices each turn. Um, where was I going with this? Uh, oh, and so the main thing is also you're planning around all uh, sort of where the trains are going to move. And then at the end of everyone's turn, all the trains move one at a time. Each line moves like five stops. And unless you're like deeply paying attention, you don't quite know what's going to happen there. That's really interesting. It's like a fun moment of the game where you're like, all right, stop and let's run all these trains and see who they pass by and who gets money and which stations have interesting things happen. Uh, So anyway, it's really great. That's a game that um, I think shouldn't be too hard to get in the U.S. right now. And I think we'll start being stocked by some stores as well. So I try to put things on my list that actually are like attainable here. I love it. I I found it on BoardGameGeek here and the map does look really cool i mean yeah. it literally is just the subway map but uh it's beautiful and it, actually there's um i'll mention too uh jordan draper has an, another upcoming series of games um he seems like a brilliant dude and he has a, he, he makes really beautiful interesting components and he had a series based called like the element series so the first one which is either that the kickstarter campaign might have finished it's called metal and it's just a game that has like beautiful metal pieces and a bunch of different games you can play with that and mm-hmm. then he's going to do one with wood and one with like rubber i think like just <laughs> designing games out of different different components which seems super cool fascinating anyway so that's called Um, tokyo metro tokyo metro yeah and then one that i've been playing a lot as well which is sort of similar in some ways high level if you were to look at them side by side is called let's make a bus route and this is by another one of my uh, favorite japanese publishers called sashi and sashi uh and this is one also where you have actually like a map of kyoto um, but you are different bus drivers and you're trying to sort of have the the best route and show tourists the best time. And and the map is like a dry erase board. So you're actually writing little maps or little routes in marker where your bus is driving. And then you have a little dry erase card in front of you with different things to do. So you can like uh, go to, you can pick up kids and drop them at schools. You can pick up tourists and drop them at sites. And each thing you do, there's sort of diff- different things you want to work on and different points associated with it, of course. And you're all sort of just dry, like moving around this map of Kyoto. And if you move around the same area someone else did you cause traffic and you don't want to be the player to cause the most traffic and it's a very fun light theme the box looks like more of a kid's game uh but it's just like a really accessible game with a great theme um that you can teach someone in a few minutes and it's always fun to like draw on your on your map um yeah there's so yeah this, really good this little subgenre of roll and write games has really exploded in like the last two years as a bunch totally of them. yeah um, and they're yeah they're really really cool that's awesome. So again, that's called uh, "Let's Make a Bus Route." Yep. Um, I, I mean, I got more. I don't know if you want more. Yeah, no, but... keep on trucking. So, <laughs> uh, another one I played last night. Well, actually, yeah, I'll jump off the Japan train, the Japan bus, as it were, for a minute. <laughs> uh, one I played last night that a friend brought, brought over, which came out last year, so it's relatively topical. Uh, is called Carson City, the card game, and I've never played the original Carson City, which is like a ten-year-old game. Yeah, um, but Very this good, one just came out. Very good game. Yeah, oh, so it's the LA Galaxy. Is that what we're talking about? <laughs> Carson City, no, it's like an old West game. It's really cool. You you buy properties and get into so you you've played the original one. Yeah, it's quite uh, good. 
Oh, cool. So, yeah, so I, 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 now I'm curious to play that one because this one seemed just like really tight, very simple, where you're sort of building a little board in front of you in a very like King Domino sort of way mm-hmm. or a little bit of like Carcassonne if you just think about building out a map. Um, and all you're doing each turn is choosing which of a few different tiles you want to buy and then putting it in your city. And you have cards uh, one through nine and you basically cho- everyone chooses a card, flips it over. The highest card um, gets to choose first. So you just it's sort of about like betting on which one you want to or uh you know, hoping that people don't play higher cards and sort of choosing when you want to play which cards, depending on which ones you want. And there's also a different character that comes out each time. So like the doctor who allows you to add a couple points to your bet after everyone's revealed it. Uh, so very simple, but really fun and satisfying building this like interlocking map. Um, and everyone sort of on the table was like going for different things. Um, so I was going for like surrounding a saloon by a bunch of buildings that made the saloon most valuable. And then I got a character that doubled the points of my highest scoring saloon. Um, so yeah, just another one that's sort of easy to hop into was under an hour uh, and really good. Yeah, the the original Carson City is cool, but it's definitely one of those like screw your neighbor things where you're you're trying to it's all you're, you're building these buildings and certain places on the map, but then you get bonuses if they're in relation to each other physically mm-hmm. in specific ways. And so if someone builds into an area you were hoping to build into, it can really mess up your whole plan. And there's a whole track of actions that you can take that are done in a specific order. So if you you know, if it, it, it's got a lot of trade off of like, well, I want to do that thing, but it doesn't happen until a bunch of people do their thing. So I can mm-hmm. totally get messed up. Yeah, it's a good game. Yeah, yeah th- uh, you should check this out because this seems to focus on like rips out those those maybe, I don't know, frustrating competitive, ele- competitive elements. It has you mostly just focusing on your own board, mm-hmm. but you're still sort of fighting over which cards you want to put in your own area. Cool. So that's that's Carson City, the card game. Yep. And the last one I'll mention, too, which I've just played a lot, especially around the holidays, which to me is sort of a modern classic, is Celestia. Have you played that, Jeff? I haven't. So, it's, it's man, it's so good. It's... Um, it's a really pretty game where you're a bunch of uh, players captaining an airship, and it's a nice little 3D built-up airship out of different pieces of cardboard that you sort of build. Um, and you're just trying to get as far as you can uh, journeying through these different like, cities in the clouds, and you're trying to... It's like a push-your-luck game going as far as you can on each run. And it's a game that has sort of... It's a competitive game, ultimately, but it has this, this semi-cooperative feeling where you have a handful of cards that can overcome different obstacles, and you roll a bunch of dice, depending on which city you're going to, the next city on the trek, and depending on what comes up on the dice, you're like, okay, I rolled like a couple pirates and a couple clouds. So I need to get by pirates and clouds. Does everyone at the table think that I can based on these cards in my hand? You can't see. And then you go around and everyone's like, I'll go on the journey with you. And someone else is like, I'm going to bail out early and take a few points and be conservative. And everyone else is like, I'm going to go with you. So then the remaining players on the airship move to the next destination. If you're able to successfully reveal the cards and beat it. So you can sort of talk people to coming with you on your trip. Uh, even if you know you're going to crash and burn, um, and then no one gets points. Oh, this so was just, this is a revamp of Cloud Nine. I I played yeah, I played Cloud Nine years ago, which was a um, it was a balloon ride. Uh, but this is way cooler looking. This airship, I'm just looking at it on Board Game Geek, gorgeous looking, really. Wow, cool. I had I had no idea about Cloud Nine. That's really interesting. This has like become one of my favorite games, and I'm totally going to look in. Oh yeah, there you go. This is re-implemented by Celestia. I'm board game geek. That's yeah, I fascinating. Think, uh, I don't think they you, it, you can buy Cloud Nine anymore. I mean, maybe used, but it, they don't publish it anymore. Oh, I'll, I'll find it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm driving to a guy's this house in think. Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's 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 great, and um, 
there's a small expansion for it if you sort of want more depth. Um, but it's something where I've played with like um, lots of friends, my girlfriend's family, uh, her parents. Like it's something where it's it's very sort of conceptually accessible, um, and it's just a game about sort of like betting on whether you think someone has some cards and it's got this nice you know cooperative feeling of like we're going on a journey together most of the time uh, until you decide to like sort of screw someone intentionally or accidentally and so it's lots of like funny moments as well but yeah it's, really cool. it's cool because uh from what i remember of playing cloud nine it's everybody's on the same team until you start jumping out and then you're actively rooting against people yeah <laughs> it's yeah. Fun. yeah it's cool uh that's cool boy celeste looks really i mean uh celestia looks really cool yeah um I want to mention a couple of games I've been playing. I've been playing a yeah, bunch please. over the over the break. Uh, chief among them is uh, Keyforge, which I have to thank uh, our friend and friend of the show, Chris Bergman. Uh, he was tweeting about the fact that he was playing it, and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm so jealous." Uh, the, I've been wanting to play it, but the starter kit has like they ran out, and the, the prices have been jacked up online, and so I've been waiting. And he sent me one, which was very kind. So thank you, Chris. Um, so I got to play. I guess start- he's got to be on the show again this year now. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, I will say too the start. I don't think the starter kit is necessary. That's my understanding too. But I still it doesn't I, even come with the rules, which is very. It doesn't come with the full rule. It comes yeah, with like a, yeah. fa- a half starter <laughs> rules. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it does have nice little chits to keep track yeah, of things. That's true. Yeah, I, although I'm already, I'm already seeing like people have made like really custom nice ones on Etsy of like here's some like ones that look like real gems, and I'm like, oh man, this is dangerous. <laughs> you, have you been playing Keyforge? A little bit, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean uh, to interrupt you. But, no, not at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to get your input. Uh, basically, this is the new Richard Garfield game. It is a new approach to collectible trading card games because you know he's the Richard guy that, Garfield of Magic. Yeah, right. Guy invented Magic, invented the whole genre of of uh, deck building games, uh, collectible trading card games and um you know if you're familiar with magic or the myriad games that are like it basically it's all about buying packs of cards to get the few cards that you want and you get a bunch of stuff that you probably don't want but you're chasing down these you know random decks of uh random cards in decks that are all all random to get the cards that you want and then cards become really valuable and well evidently richard garfield looked at that and kind of hated the secondary market and didn't want that to exist and he's been working on this idea for many years of randomized decks. But when you buy a pack of cards to play this game, Keyforge, the pack is a ready-made deck and the deck is completely random, but you don't have to add or subtract any cards from it. That deck is the deck you play. It's set and every single deck that you can buy for Keyforge in the store is unique. There are no two decks alike except for the starter decks, which are specific starter decks. But you are literally can go into a store, pay, I think like three or four bucks. They're not that expensive. Buy a deck of cards and you're ready to go. And you, and you have a unique play experience that's unique to you. No one else has the, that specific set of cards, but they all work together. It's a pretty awesome idea. And I guess it's been difficult to, to launch because of just printing, uh, uh, technicalities you know how difficult and, it is. and because the randomly assigned name of your character is sometimes a little racist or a little offensive oh, and that a really? bunch of them yeah they had to recall about some of them oh, apparently I see that oh my god it's actually there's some that are like really funny like not and not offensive just like there's been some really funny like because they're you know they're like this randomly generated thing yeah. um yeah, yeah you get this like character basically yeah. and because there's an infinite number of them they have to i guess use an algorithm to create that name mm-hmm. but it's cool because the back of your cards are all unique to you i think it's a really neat thing but 
Yeah. The other, I think, innovation of Keyforge is, you know, if you're familiar with Hearthstone or Magic or any of the other games like it, there's always this management of mana that you have to worry about. like and, and how games manage mana and whether you have mana in your hand or as Hearthstone does it, it just randomly gives it to you every turn. You get more mana to use. Keyforge just gets rid of the idea of mana altogether and I think does it in a very smart way, which is there are each of of the decks of the game have three what they call houses or divisions like um um you know like houses in game of thrones basically categories of cards that constitute the deck and on your turn you're you're going to have a random grouping of cards in your hand and they'll be of those three houses and on your turn you have to choose one house and you can play any number of cards from that house so it solves the problem of forcing you to use a subset of cards in your hand, which is what mana does basically, but kind of gets away from having to worry about managing any of that and, and power creep and all that. You can, you can play as many cards as you want, as long as they're of the house you selected. And then if you play them down in front of you, like creatures down in front of you, like you would for Hearthstone or magic, those creatures have to be of the house that you're declaring at the top of your turn in order to activate them as well. I think it's a pretty elegant solution and it's really plays out pretty well what did you think of the game nick yeah um it's 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 a little overwhelming that you can sort of like do everything you want every turn because from the factions you've chosen you can just like play you can play all the cards or do all the things um which is cool and like yeah, like you were saying very different um from like from a magic or we have resources you have to like tap and use um but yeah I've, i'm really enjoying the game system so far i think it works really well there's some really interesting um I, the, I think the strategy of it does seem like very deep uh, and I think it fits with the idea of like you have this one unique deck and I think there's some rule about like you trade decks with your opponent if you're playing a series of games but generally with the decks you own I think the idea is you're supposed to play the same deck sort of over and over and like new ideas will emerge from it or new strategies and maybe you'll have decks that service different things so some are more aggressive and some are you know have sort of like um, slow burn you know big payoff at the end plans um, and it does seem like some of that is emerging from, I mean maybe I'm reading into it a little bit but some of them is emerging from the different decks I've tried yeah. uh, and I'm excited to like play some multiple times and and sort of see how I feel about it because each deck tends to have a different mood around it. And that's what I think is so cool about the game is that I learn the deck by playing it. Whereas in Magic, you feel this pressure to sort of constitute a deck by figuring it out beforehand and coming up with synergies. And yeah. you can just sort of dive in blind with these, these decks and kind of play your hand as you get it and then learn that deck over a series of play sessions, which I think yeah. is way more fun and interesting. So I like the- it. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far too. It's super interesting. It makes you want to like experiment more. The the two things I'll say that are like slight barriers. Well, one one is slight barrier to entry, which is that like we said, even the starter deck doesn't come with the full rules, and there's lots of specific powers that like aren't fully explained on the cards that you have to like look up online, which is a little yeah. bit annoying. I'm sure eventually you'll just internalize it all and won't have to, but it's annoying while you're learning the game to have to constantly reference the online manual. Yeah. Uh, the second thing, which is a bigger obstacle for me, which might like stop me from playing it long term is i really hate like the world they've built and like it (laughs) is just so unappealing to me it's like it's not even it's not even generic fantasy it's like a very specific vein of like here's a unique fantasy universe but just nothing about is interesting to me i don't like the art is fine but like i don't like it yeah uh and the whole 
what you're actually doing and forging keys. Like it's all just lame. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not, not a fan of that. Uh, the game itself is super interesting for me, but like, I think theme and aesthetic is important to me as well. Like for me to, to just want to spend time with it over a long period of time. And I find myself really having to like set that aside um, mm. while I, while I play it more too. I kind of feel that. that I get you. I get what you're saying. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, magic is inherently, I think really just cool looking and feeling. And this doesn't seem to have captured that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I will say to, I'll recommend uh, shut up and sit down. Those guys put up a really great review of the game. It's like a t- half an hour review. That's talks about all of this and goes into it all. And I think, I think we have similar thoughts as them, but uh, it's a really, really enjoyable review. If you're curious to learn a bit more about it. Well, if you care about board games at all, you should be watching them. They are that's true. the best. I think they're the best. Yes. This game also might be like the biggest thing in the world in a year. It or, could. It might, or it might sort of crash and burn after <laughs> this initial hype. That's, that's also what's interesting. It's like this brand new idea um, that is being executed in a really unique way. Yeah. So I'm curious to see where it goes. For sure. Uh, the other thing I'll mention just really quickly, because I talk about it every time I do a new expansion to Time Stories, which is, if not my favorite board game, it's up there. Wow. Um, uh, the newest one, well, not newest, I guess there's one that just came out after this, but the newest one for me, the latest one I've played uh, is Estrella Drive, which takes place in 1982. Um, I don't need to talk about it a lot, but I, this is the first Time Stories expansion that I say, hey, you can play skip this one. I was not impressed with it. Uh, it's very dark, uh, ends up being basically the Manson murders story. It's like an anal- analog to the Manson murders. Hmm. And it's just really dark, really dark. Uh, and I guess that's cool. I mean, there's I like dark stuff, but it it just didn't have any particular innovative thing that I thought was worthwhile. Almost all the expansions have done something new, interesting, and this does do something new, but it's just not. It just was a little underwhelming. So um, I've never not recommended one of them before, and this is the first one where I'm like, eh, you can skip it. Estrella yeah. Drive. That's too bad. Yeah, but I'm excited for the next one, and I think there's a whole bunch coming soon still, too. So. I, I should try more of them. I, I played the very first one, and I, it seemed like it was a clever system, but I didn't love the, the actual execution of the game itself. It felt like sort of a lot of like trial and error poking around on different runs, um, and because it only comes with the one for like 60 bucks, it seemed like not... I don't know, not a great value, I guess. Right. Um, but I liked, I, I thought it was interesting enough where it made me want to try some of the more interesting sounding cases. Like the, I think the Marcy Files one was like maybe the second one and that sounded a lot cooler. So I, I'll, I'll go back to it at some point. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a really fun system and it, it's perfect for the group that I play with because it's like you're done in a session and you had a complete experience and I don't know, it's cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's it. That's your tabletop time. And that's your show. We do have our parting gift coming up. So stick around for that. But Nick Sutner, thanks so much for being here, man. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's great hanging out with you guys and uh, going going down these various rabbit holes that uh, people don't usually indulge me with. <laughs> well, you're welcome here anytime. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. What, what do you got going on? How can people follow you and your work? Um, let's see. They can follow me at uh, Twitter and Sutner N S U T T N E R. I post about uh, all the stuff I'm working on there. Although there's not too much I can talk about at the moment. Um, doing a lot of uh, sort of some more focusing on some more writing work right now for some upcoming games. Um, still doing some consulting for different indies to help people like hone their pitches and that sort of thing. And then working on uh, some of my own games, uh, both video games and board games. And my New Year's Eve resolution was to finish the board game uh, at least in like a comfortable state to prototype and play test and stuff um that i've been working on with a friend for the last two years or so so um that's 
pretty far along, I think, and hopefully it's be something I can share with you by the end of the year. Oh man, I'm excited. That's yeah. great. Very cool. Oh, and I should also I should also uh, uh, pimp real quick the uh, again I do a Splunky podcast. It's about Splunky and roguelikes and game design, and co-hosted by some other awesome people: Andy Nealon, uh, Doug Wilson, and Zach Gage, all amazing indies who've made incredible stuff. That's called the Splunky Show, like. Uh, and I also co-host a uh, board game podcast called Going Analog uh, with Dan Chu and some other industry friends and such. So, um, yeah, check those out as well if you're curious. All fantastic things. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? If you're listening to this not in the RSS and you happen to be in L.A., I'm at the Comedy Store tonight, but you're you're not that. Uh, <laughs> um, I think the next show I know about in advance, I think the 14th, I'm at Flappers, which is also in L.A. I'm trying to put together some 2019 road dates, but nothing confirmed yet. I have some stuff that hopefully I'll be talking about uh, sooner rather than later that if I can, I'm very excited about. And if I can't, sorry. Um, but Twitter is a good way to keep in touch. It's at Spicer, S P I C E R. And then this show, uh, I stream live every week, typically at 7 15 PM Pacific time. You can find it on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Jeff, what about you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And, uh, I do a movie and TV show podcast called the slash film cast you can find at slash filmcast.com we're uh we just did our top tens of 2018 which is really fun shows like three hours long super fun uh next week we're talking about bandersnatch and bird box on netflix and then the week after that is our 500th episode and we got congrats yeah i wasn't there for the whole time but no you were congrats yeah. Uh, and um, it's going to be a big one. I think it's going to be cool. I think you should check it out. So slash filmcast.com gets you to the RSS there, but you can find it anywhere you get podcasts. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Nick, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, so last night I made some delicious butter chicken in my Instant Pot. Uh, Instant Pots, man. Everybody's talking about Instant Pots. Do you do you not have one? My wife keeps saying we should get one, but we have not it's got like, one. It's like a hundred bucks. And especially, I imagine, with a family, uh, it like could be like life-changing where it's just – it's super easy where you can just throw a bunch of things. And you can take like frozen chicken out of the freezer – and like a thing of barbecue sauce and some water and dump those <laughs> in the Instant Pot. And in like tw- 25 to 40 minutes, you will have like fall off the bone, delicious chicken ready. Yeah. It's basically anything you do in a crock pot uh, over like four to six hours, but very quickly. Last night, the butter chicken that I made actually had a cooking time of five minutes. <laughs> so it's like pressurized, it cooked for five minutes. And it was like, it was like, you know, from, from the fridge, but like partially frozen still. Uh, and came out delicious. Just dumped a bunch of spices in there. So it's really great. Um, I don't have, I mean, I made a specific recipe, but there's a million of them online. If you just look for Instant Pot Butter Chicken, you basically just buy a bunch of spices, like some uh, garam masala, like some Indian spices and turmeric and uh, some other stuff. And just, again, dump it all in with the chicken. Um, there's like slightly extra work of like you sear some of it in the pot before you add all the stuff. But it considering like the results it's uh really easy um so that was that was tasty uh and then real quick another bonus one i wanted to add i don't know if you watched it uh if you've talked about on slash filmcast but killing eve Mm, yes i loved it 
It's so excellent. Um, it's by Phoebe Waller-Bridges, who um, Waller-Bridge, sorry, uh, who if you've watched Fleabag or Crashing, she's incredible and hilarious. She also played the she was the voice of the droid in Solo, um, and she sort of is adapting this and is a producer. And it's just a show about Sandra O oh, um, sort of tracking another female serial killer um, and their interactions, and they're both totally incredible in the show. And it, I'm only like halfway through, but it's already gone to some super interesting places that I didn't expect it to. And it's like very, very dark sometimes, but also really funny. Um, and I'm really loving it. Wow. Uh, you yeah. have, you have not gotten to the end yet. We'll just wait. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, man. it's awesome. Um, Sandra O oh is amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, she's incredible. Uh, and season two in April, they announced season two in April. Oh, really? Yeah. So. I'm glad that's, that's like nice timing for me. Then I'll wrap this up right as the new one's about to yeah, come out. It's super good. So. It's killing awesome. Eve. Uh, yep. Christian on uh, Hulu. Oh yes. On Hulu. Uh, yeah. I think it was A&E originally, something like that. Anyway. Oh, wow, really? Okay. I, don't, I don't remember. Uh, or maybe it was BBC. It doesn't matter. Uh, Christian, how about you? What's your parting gift? I don't know if we might have talked about it on here, but New Year, I can talk about it again, and I'm using it now. And it's the Libby app, which is by Overdrive, but it's um, you know, e-library. And I had someone who has used Overdrive before and found it a little clunky. Um, Libby is just a cleaner interface. It doesn't do everything that Overdrive can do per se, but if you're just reading, it can send things to your Kindle, um, audiobooks, library books. Um, I, I love the interface and I'm reading a lot on my iPad now through it. Super clean, very minimalist. I like it a lot and it's free and I don't know what libraries it supports, but check it out. Try yours. Um, free books, expand your mind, always a good thing to do. And I'm doing it via the Libby app on my iPad. We got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes from Jonathan Ashley. He sent this to dlcfeedback at gmail.com, which is where you can send any of your parting gifts, any questions, comments, questions, whatever you, whatever we love hearing from you. What do you just reach out? DLCfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, Jonathan sends us this parting gift. He says, um, something that seems small, but actually has been a big deal for me is just telling someone when they're doing something that's good. We hear so much negativity, so it's nice to be encouraged once in a while. That's why I sent this email, partly to say thank you for all the hard work, patience, and joy that you two have, but also to contribute in some small way with a parting gift. Check out the YouTube series Boundary Break. In it, she says, moves the camera around and removes layers to see areas of games players normally aren't meant to see it's fun and informative uh do you guys know about this this i just checked it out a boundary break youtube series Mm-mm. it's that, uh, that idea sounds familiar it sounds cool it is really cool i mean it's it's pretty popular it's got like eight hundred thousand views on the couple episodes i saw but uh it's literally like just looking at the seams of games the, one of the ones i watched was uh fallout 4 i guess and seeing how stuff's done by breaking you know like they hack in and and have a free roaming camera so you can go outside and see the boundaries of things. Like for example, uh, everybody knows about uh, in fallout, the um, there's a first person sequence when you're on the train and it, they, the way they did it was they literally created an object that like is a helmet for the player character. So there's like the player character has a train helmet, which you never see. You just feel like you're in a train, but that's how they did it. And there's a lot of stuff like that where, you know, there's a, like a slide show on the wall and the slides move up when the new slide comes in and you think, Oh, well they just, you know, do it like a slide projector. No, there's a, there's one strip of a texture. That's all the slides. And it just moves up infinitely (laughs) with this long strip of slides. Anyway, stuff like that. It's, it's fascinating. If you're into game design and figuring out how stuff does works, it's, it's cool to see how, uh, 
simple some sometimes just by looking around the edges. I was very impressed. I I didn't know about this. It's called Boundary Break. It's a YouTube series. My parting gift. Oh, by the way, thank you, Jonathan Ashley, for sending that, sending that to us and for the kind words as well. Uh, my parting gift is another YouTube series, and this is another one I found out by uh, a listener. In fact, it was posted on our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Uh, this was posted by Andy, uh, who said his son wants to be a YouTuber, <laughs> which I guess a lot of kids do these days. Not usually something I would encourage because, whew, that life. But I checked out his son's YouTube channel, and it's friggin' adorable. His son, I don't know how old, I'm guessing six or seven, maybe younger, five. Uh, he's amazing. Evidently, he goes by the moniker Caden Phoenix, and uh, you guys should check it out. He's just starting out. He's just starting out his YouTube channel. I think there's only two videos so far. He's adorable. Uh, you guys got to check it out. I-, I would love for our listeners to go and give him some subs uh, or at least give him some views. Um, I think you can search for Caden Phoenix, K-A-I-D-E-N-P-H-O-E-N-I-X on YouTube. Uh, he's got a cool logo. I guess his dad did his logo for him. And uh, his first two videos are great. He has a reaction video and he does a welcome video. His welcome video is, is pretty much the most adorable thing I've ever seen. So give him a look. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Nick Sutner and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L, Sean Madigan and Zero Star for making our bumpers. Thanks to the folks hanging out live in our chat room. You guys are awesome. Uh, Thanks for making the show better in real time. And thank you to all of you who download the show. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.